Hello, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Direct Input Podcast. Today is Sunday, April 29th, and down in New Bedford, Massachusetts, the whaling city of the world. I think it's the world, right? It is the whaling city. Well, it was the largest whaling port. Bigger than that. I think Dantsk had a big motherfucker, like the Russians or some shit, but, you know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. There's definitely no whaling going on here anymore. It's prohibited. Yeah, it's prohibited. The Japanese have had enough time doing it. Yeah, you seen that show where they like pretend it's for scientific purposes? They yeah, just like slaughter whales. The sea Guardian or some, or some Sea Shepherd. Sea Shepherd. <laughs> when I was into hardcore in the '90s, like yeah. a bunch of the bands used to like promote for Sea Shepherd and shit. Really? Then I saw the show and I was like, I wouldn't give this asshole money because he just seems like an <laughs> idiot, you know. But I would, you know, whales, man, you got to help whales survive, you know. This is like still the largest commercial fishing port in the world. It's the most lucrative. Yeah. It know? makes the most money. It's more than yeah. money comes here than Alaska, I know. Yeah. Alaska's got yeah. king crab. But Did you see there's a Netflix series called Rotten? Have you seen that? No. They have an episode about New Bedford. It's about this dude, the Codfather. You ever heard of that dude? The Codfather's the Portuguese guy who just got Yes. Fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about Carlos. the Codfather. Hi, he just skirted the system, dude. There's this thing called cat shares. Have you heard of that? Cat shares. Cat shares. What, yeah. What do yeah. you mean? Like you got to bring um, cats on board? No, catch. Catch. Oh. Cat shares. Like each ship is allowed a quota. Yeah. Right? If you want to go over your quota, you have to buy shares from another ship. Right? It was a thing they came up with to try and keep the oceans from getting overfished. So they give each boat an allotted share. You can only catch this much, right? If you want to catch that much more, you have to buy a share from another fucking boat. And because he was a millionaire, he could just buy people out. Your boat used to make X amount of dollars a year, and now you can catch a fraction of that. So you either go belly up or at least make some money and sell your shares to somebody else. And he just swooped in. And he's like Vince McMahon, bro. You know, or, or, or Donald Trump, you know? Really? Yeah. Well, that's a lot of credit. I yeah. kind of I think McMahon was a little bit more shrewd about his industry. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. he but knows his industry yeah. better than Trump. Honestly. It's like you don't want to help WCW. You just want to buy it and destroy it. <laughs> and I think that's what that dude was doing with like the the cat shares. Like, watch that Netflix episode. It's pretty interesting. So didn't this guy just get popped though? Yeah, he's doing some federal time. But from what I understand, he's got all kinds of money. Like he would like smuggle his money out to like portugal or some island in portugal you know he was like skirting the system of like catching way more fish than you're supposed to doing shit illegally it was like a huge deal you know everything tied to him is like affecting the fishing industry down here you know so now that he's out what's that mean for the new bedford fishery industry in general you know like that i'm not really sure i know it's definitely affected things it's like this thing, right? Like, the ocean is not an endless amount of resources to take. But try and tell a scalloper that. I have all these scalloper clients, like all these fishermen clients. Look, if someone comes to me and tells me there's less tattoo needles ever and that I have to work less hours each week, I'm not going to believe it. <laughs> so you tell some fishermen there's less fish and you have to figure out a new system, they're going to tell you to go fuck yourself. They don't want to believe it, you know? Really? But it's at the tipping point, man. They say there's 40 to 50 years of oceanic fish left. Oceanic, I believe, uh, I think pelagic means coastal fish. 
and oceanic means like the type of fish that could travel in abundance. Like a tuna can travel all over the world, right? Right. So can a great white shark. Sure. A tuna is the type of fish that you can actually eat, you know? Nobody wants to eat bait fish or jellyfish, right? Yeah, yeah. So the oceanic fish, which is the food source, it's like disappearing. From what I understand, bluefin tuna is rarer than rhino right now, but it's not protected the way a fucking rhino is. Yeah, you know? that is weird, huh? If we don't stop like fishing to that capacity now, the we, there'll be nothing left for the next generation. Like if if you have a child, they won't know the oceans the way people know it now. You know. But it's it's a hard one because ultimately. Uh, Fish is a really good basic organic right. food right. source. Right, and it feeds, I forgot what the number is, but it's like something crazy. Like 70% of the world's populace lives by the coastal regions, yeah. maybe more, and they all utilize the ocean. Okay, you know? okay. It's kind of weird to live down here and not make your money from that, you know? Like, I don't go into the ocean as much as I would like. Like, I like to swim and snorkel and stuff like that, but... You know, I would say for years, most of the people that came from this region made their money from that, plying that trade one way or another, either fishing or working in the fishing trade, you know, boats, nets, like, it's still kind of that way, you know? Right on. It's an interesting area, you know? Yeah, it's unlike anywhere else. It gets a bad rap, unfortunately. I I just spent the weekend down in Cape Cod, but it's similar down there. You know, you have a whole fucking population yeah. that gets laid off eight months out of the fucking year you ever seen that clip on youtube where pat oswald is talking about new bedford no he like played in massachusetts and uh he was asking people from the crowd like where they were from and then asking them questions about like their area and somebody said new bedford and he was like what's new bedford known for and the woman said uh fishing and heroin and he didn't understand <laughs> what she was talking about. Yeah. He didn't know commercial fishing. So he's like, right. what do you mean? Like, you're going to go fucking shoot some dope and catch some crappies? And she... <laughs> we have crappies up here. <laughs> but uh, she was like, no, no. And it's also known for, like, ICP kids that, like, turn into Nazis and hack people up with machetes. You ever heard about that? Yeah. Wasn't that... Uh, I tattooed that kid's mom. Chihitos? Wasn't that that guy's name or something No, like his name was Jacob Robita. You got to be all kinds of confused to try and be a national socialist juggalo, bro. <laughs> so what happened there? Fuck <laughs> it. I don't know. Maybe just like you know, he probably wasn't listening to Graveland or Granville Isles Key. I think he was just like a confused kid, you know. Yeah. That like, I think the story was he lived in the pretty rough neighborhood and like, there's always racial tension, you know. I think maybe he became quasi racist because getting picked on or whatever it was but he was a juggalo that somehow decided to identify with like nazi shit he probably didn't even know what the term national socialist meant it's a big word but he decided to go on a rampage a killing spree where was that it was like 10 years ago so the street that we got food on earlier is north front street okay there was a bar there back in the day called puzzles the gay bar it later turned to the rainbow zen appropriate name but uh <laughs> he decided to start his like lawless fucking spree by going in there with a machete and like hacking at gay people and then he went on the run ended up like killing a cop or something he got killed in the process um and then i tattoo the mother the mother told me a story about how after he got put down by those cops he was somewhere in the south 
I guess he had a girlfriend that was much older than him, 10 years older maybe. He was a young kid, early 20s. Yeah. And uh, they went on some crazy spree. They got pulled over in like Alabama, son. He ended up killing a cop, and then they put him down. But he killed his girlfriend, and then he either killed himself or the cops killed him. But they sent the mother his clothes back. You know, like next of kin gets the belongings. Really? Bloodied clothes, bro. Just Good. threw them in a bag and sent them back up north. Here's your kid's fucking clothes. You know? <laughs> crazy, dude. Crazy. So, like, for years, that's what New Bedford was known for. Yeah. We've never been known for anything crazy positive, And there's a lot of positive shit in this city, you know? Lizzie that. Borden and Fall River. Yeah. Fucking, you know, sort of the same whole situation. Fucking. I like that idea you had for a while about trying to get Ahab to play in New Bedford. Ahab should play the New Bedford Whaling Museum. I, I firmly fucking believe in that. They have like a. I, I've actually never been there, but I know there's like. A, isn't there like a big exoskeleton of a, like a, a yeah. right whale or something there? It's not as impressive as you think. <laughs> well, it's just like anything, right? It gets built up. Like, remember going to the Boston Aquarium as a kid and thinking it was fucking amazing? Oh, yeah. Penguins, yeah. And then you go now and it's, like, so small. Wicked. Yeah. yeah. Mystic's better. Baltimore's better. Dude, I went to uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium when I was in San Francisco in, like, 2012. Really? Shit was amazing, bro. I watched that fucking Finding Dory with my wife uh, a couple months ago. Oh, yeah. The- Cut my fucking eyes out. <laughs> Dude, those <laughs> movies. Dude. That fucking Wally. You ever watch Wally? I watched the Wally. Oh, man. I heard that's about depre- the Wally. That's depressing as shit. Up. Then we got yeah, that's depressing too. Yeah, fucking Moana was another one. We took that yeah. one and fucked me up, dude. I'm, <laughs> I'm like a little girl with entertainment, bro. Mm-hmm. Like I'll cry my eyes out. I've been watching like revisiting Band of Brothers and the Pacific. I I can't make it th- Pacific really fucking bum me out, and I I dropped off around see like episode three or four. What because of the emotional shit? Yeah, it was dude. fucking mad emotional. There's one episode where they got this gunnery sergeant and a commanding officer in Peleliu named Akak. And his, his name was uh, Haldane, Andrew Haldane. He was a wicked beloved officer amongst those men. You know, front lines kind of guy where, when he didn't have to be, you know. And he got killed on Peleliu. And the scene where he dies is so emotional, dude. Like they're walking through this thin corridor of rock up a mountain and it's just a couple of the, the characters. Like, the one kid was one of the main characters. He played uh, Eugene Sledge, who had written a book called Helmet is My Pillow. And he was played by the kid from Jurassic Park, the young kid. Really? So it's like a scene with him and that dude from the Mr. Robot TV show. <laughs> they're both in it. And they're just, like, having a conversation casually while, like, troops march up this ravine. And you hear this one sniper shot. You don't think anything of it because through the entire show you hear all these shots and there's always gunfire. And then, like, two minutes later, they walk this commanding officer, Akak, that's his nickname, down this ravine. And it's, like, the most emotional scene I've ever seen in any piece of entertainment. They build him up over episodes as being, like, the most beloved dude in this unit, the commander of men that love him. And then he dies. And then one of the character says sniper got the skipper and you see every marine in that scene lose their shit just pure emotion everybody that acts in that scene is so good Ah. and it's impossible to watch that scene and not tear up really yeah i mean the first time i watched it i was in shambles every time i watch it i'm in shambles but i like that 
I'll watch stuff like that over and over again to like pull the emotion out of myself. It lets you know you're still alive, you know. Fucking man enough to cry. Oh fuck yeah, At movies and shit, dude. Anytime I watch Band of Brothers and they have like interviews with the actual guys, I think it's that's hard, bro. Dude, you know? well, honestly, they say like yawning is like contagious. One yeah, guy yawns yeah. the whole room. That type of emotion. Watching too? a man cry is fucking contagious to me. Like you know, especially when it's an older guy. You know, like some fucking, yeah. you know, just fucking man. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it's like in his 60s, a great-haired man that fucking doesn't show, you know. Any oh. any type of ent- entertainment that has some type of, like, camaraderie between men, not just men, between anybody, but anything, whether it be, like, Lord of the Rings or World War II, uh, anything where there's, like, some emotionally charged camaraderie and then some beloved character dies and they pull on those emotional strings... I can't resist it. It's just I'm a Libra, so I'm a wicked emotional pussy, <laughs> you know. So, I was the type of kid who, if I got in a schoolyard fight and won, and there weren't many, well, many I won, but uh, if I got in a schoolyard fight and did all right, I would be the kid on the walk home that once I was by myself, I would cry, you know, because the adrenaline yeah. and all that. Yeah, oh, just yeah. being an emotional person, you know. I but understand you that. Know, I know a lot of people that like. I think we touched on this a little bit last time. Like, you got this, like, one life to live, right? And I know a lot of people that just don't have, like, interests the way I do, like, obsessive interests. And I think when you have obsessive interests, you're probably more of an emotional type person. Like, things touch you in a way, you know? Like, it's just how it is, you know? Like, I'll watch the... They have these, like, four-disc editions of Lord of the Rings... They documented, like, the 10-year process to make those three films. Yeah, yeah. They put so much love and heart into it that it's, like, impossible not to be touched by it, you know? Did you watch the Jim Carrey thing on Netflix? Oh, about how he, like, put himself into the Andy Kaufman thing? Like, yeah. Dude. That's crazy, yeah. I appreciate anybody. Like, I've never been a a fan of Jim Carrey, but... uh, A lot more respect for the man, though, after that. And I kind of looked at his whole career in general. I was just like, wow. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I've always thought he was brilliant in his own right, but, like, yeah. I never respected him as, like, this fucking, right. you know, meth, method actor right. type motherfucker, right. you know? It's yeah, crazy. I mean, that's the thing about, like, true art like that. If somebody's doing something and putting their whole being into it, even if it's not something you're into, you can't help but, like, respect the shit out of it, you know? What's the shape of water the other night? I couldn't get through it. No, nah, see, I think that guy's stuff is uh, the director. I, I like, like some French of his films. shit, you know? But they're long, and they're, they're very arduous in the sense that fucking, like, there's layers there, and you got to fucking kind of, you know. Did, did, this is related. Did you see the Hobbit movies? Uh, well, I thought it was just one. There's three. It's a fucking oh. catastrophe, bro. Yeah, no, I did see that. You know, he They should have just did one. He was I supposed saw. to direct it. So the major malfunction with the Hobbit is that Guillermo del Toro, the Shape of Water dude, was directing the Hobbit. And... The reason he didn't, they originally gave, was that it took too long to greenlight the project and he was sick of waiting. And then it kind of has trickled out years later that, like, they kind of let him have his way with it and they weren't feeling his vision. It was too far removed from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Really? Because Peter Jackson was still executive producing. So they shit can Del Toro last minute with like five weeks before the first day of filming. And then Peter Jackson flies completely blind and makes those three movies. And they're fucking... All three of them are abortions, bro. Like, the first one's okay. 
you can't squeeze three movies out of The Hobbit. Dude, that last movie is such a clusterfuck of like chaos. The entire movie is some bullshit battle that if Optimus Prime would have showed up, he wouldn't looked out of place. <laughs> the, actually, I did want to touch on this. Um, ever since like The Last Jedi came out, which I fucking hated. I didn't see that it's, fucking It's film. garbage, bro. Yeah. I don't want to get onto that topic. All right. Because I'll go crazy. Okay. The treating of, the treatment of Luke Skywalker is an abortion. What they're doing with Star Wars is also just not good. And Mark Hamill was very unhappy with his character and how he was portrayed. And when you see the movie, you'll understand why. But he talks about how cinema now is cinema of bewilderment, right? Remember when the special effect was a tool to push the movie forward? Sure. Now the movie is just a tool to push the special effect forward, right? I can't. I tried five times to get through that Infinity War movie, and I couldn't do it. The new Could, Marvel. No, the new DC. Oh, all right. Because it just can't hold my attention, you know? It's, it's just like explode. It's like Michael Bayisms, you know? But a lot of, you know, Michael Bay, a lot of people died over there in the Citizens of Michael Bay. It's a dangerous place to live. <laughs> the citizens of Michael Bay? Yeah. <laughs> Dude. I, I heard some kid at Brown do a... We did some... I had some gig playing fucking some, like, show, the encyclopedia show, and some kid wrote, read a poem about the citizens of Michael Bay. I no thought it was a great bit. But no yeah, shit. So I gotta that. fucking check that out. But as you were saying... So you didn't see Last Jedi? No. I'm not... Dude. Are you not me, a Star Wars freak, right? <laughs> You know, I loved the first three on VHS when I got them, right. and I, I loved watching right. them. And I had an action figure or two in right. the '80s, but did I, you, you know, did I never you connected. See Force Awakens, the newest movie. Uh, not yeah. the newest movie. The one that the one that brought the saga back. Yeah. So the prob- and I didn't like that. Right. So here's the problem with uh, that movie grew on me. You know, this new movie doesn't answer any of the questions they set up. Force Awakens greatness was banking on. The Last Jedi knocking it out of the park. You set the pitch up, now fucking hit a home run, and they hit a fucking terrible bunt. An anemic piece of shit bunt. So what they're doing is they're banking on nostalgia from a storytelling standpoint, not from a feeling or a vibe. Meaning there's a sequence in Last Jedi where they have this bullshit subplot where they go to a fucking casino planet, right? Yeah, and exactly and like it, the motherfucking It looks recreation. like Monte Carlo and shit. Yeah. So, Star Wars has established this, like, underworld vibe, right? The huts control the, the planets with the most crime. They have slave races. They have these, like, Twi'lek dancing girls with, like, the tentacle hair. So, you have a perfect opportunity in this new movie to set up real fan nostalgia. Not nostalgia from a storytelling standpoint you don't have to tell a story we've already seen give us visuals that feel like star wars but what they want to do instead is they want to tell you a fucking nostalgic story because they're too weak to realize an original story can sell too right there's been 25 years of video games comics all kinds of amazing star wars stories they're not replicating the vibe of the first three movies they're telling you an original story but it takes place in the Star Wars universe. There's Dark Jedi and fucking Sith and Jedi and bounty hunters and an underworld and all these elements that make Star Wars Star Wars. If you put pieces of that in there, you can tell any fucking story you want. But instead, they just want to tell you nostalgic fucking stories. <laughs> it's a coming-of-age story that's almost the exact same story they gave you in the original three movies. Right. 
People hated those prequels from the 90s and the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. They're actually feeling a lot more appealing now. I like the third one. I remember yeah, watching the third yeah. one. It's dropped. got some shit that sucks, like Obi-Wan riding the giant lizard. But uh, you know what? Watch these new movies, with the exception of Rogue One, which was like a little more edgy. Watch these new movies and then go back and watch the prequels. And you say to yourself, at least George Lucas was telling an original story. Yeah. You know? Dude, that movie alone that you just mentioned... Uh, Revenge of the Sith from 2005. Yeah. There's over 35 ships alone that you've never seen in any other movie. World building shit. The new movies, the three new movies, Force Awakens, Rogue One, The Last Jedi, they introduce maybe eight or nine ships that you haven't seen, and most of them are just repaints of shit you know already. Oh, yeah. Like, their vision is so limited to, like, the fear of not making money. If you know, let's cater to the fucking casual fan. You know, for every ten tickets we sell, only three of those are hardcore fans. The rest of them are casual. They don't give a fuck one way or another. But you alienate those real fans for long enough, you lose them. Yeah. This Han Solo movie comes out like a month from today or a little less. Yeah. And I think it's gonna tank. You know. Really. Because another play on nostalgia. Why, we don't need a fucking Han Solo movie. We already know what a 30-something-year-old Han Solo looks like. Why do it? The only reason to do it is to bank on nostalgia. But I think this one's going to fail. Because the hardcore fans aren't that interested. And the casual ones are just like, that's not Harrison Ford. Yeah. You know? So, I could talk about this forever. The best thing that came out of Last Jedi is watching people on YouTube talk shit about it. Really? And the best guy is this cat named Ethan Van Skyver. He runs a YouTube page called Comic Artist Pro Secrets, I believe. He's an illustrator for DC that hated Last Jedi so much that he started to make YouTube videos. So there's a character in the upcoming Han Solo movie that's like, Han Solo wins the Millennium Falcon during like a gambling contest with Lando Calrissian. They play this game called Sabacc. And there's an alien at the Sabacc table called Therm Scissorpunch, who's a lobster humanoid. And I'm assuming his name is a take on Lobster Thermidor. Was he on Wonder Drug Records? <laughs> I, no, I don't know. Somebody was on drugs if they came up with that Therm Scissorpunch. <laughs> so this cat, Ethan Van Skyver, does this video on YouTube called In Defense of Therm Scissorpunch, where he goes on this dialogue about how shitty, like... <laughs> Denny's put out like this promotional menu and they leaked like pictures of Therm Scissorpunch. And his dialogue on this YouTube video is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I watched it 15 times, bro. I was watching it once a day. He's like, he says some shit about, all right, this character looks like a mascot for Red Lobster and Scissorpunch sounds like an uncomfortable thing for two women to do to each other. And he has <laughs> hands that are scissors that he can presumably punch with. But. Yeah, man, Star Wars tanking right now has made so much YouTube content that's worth watching. Yeah. Like, passionate people that just hate on it. I didn't know? think the internet could recover without the fucking angry video game nerd. Like, you know. Nah, because we got other dudes now. He's still there, though, no? Yeah, but, like, he was, like... I watch like, his content still. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, that that's old to me. I'm hey, like, you know, I'm like, well, where's it going to go from this, here? Now, this, this whole Twitch thing and all this, this like, cat, crazy. Ethan Van Skyver that does these videos... I, th I think it's Comic Artist Pro Secrets. Check him out. Um, if you want to see the video, just type in In Defense of Thermoses a Punch. Yeah. This dude has the driest sense of humor, and it is fucking hilarious. Is he British? 
Nah, he's an American cat. Okay. He's like a 45-year-old, like, his fucking visual appearance does not match the voice. I, like, had to track down his Instagram page. Really? But he's really funny. And, like, he he doesn't ever break, like, the... Not that he's in character, but he doesn't have a break personality. So, like, during the Therm Scissor Punch video, like, a Pottery Bond ad comes up. So, he'll, like, show you. You never see him. You just see his computer screen, and he'll show you, like, articles about Star Wars that he thinks are ridiculous. And he's got this one about Therm Scissor Punch and, like, this Denny's menu. And then a Pottery Bond ad pops up, and he just goes into this dialogue about how, like, oh, yeah, Pottery Bond, that's nice. This is kind of how my bedroom looks in the morning when the light is nice. And it's so funny, you have to fucking see it, dude. Just check it out. So fucking Battle of Endor is the best thing that ever happened to the Star Wars franchise. Fucking the, what? You mean Ewoks? Yeah, the Ewok thing. Yeah. Well, I don't necessarily know that that's the best thing, but I'll I'm tell you what. I'm pretty sure it is. It's right there with the Christmas World special. <laughs> fucking the that's Christmas a, special. Is how tough. about how about the fucking uh, toys that made us? You seen that one? That's great. I'll tell you what. People love Empire the most. Really, but. Well, that, like, Jedi to me is the best because normal. that ending segment, the throne room sequence between Luke Vader and the Emperor, is still emotionally charged to this day. You know, dude, the best Star Wars content that's ever existed, and the reason it bugs me out that Lucasfilm Lucasfilm can't get this shit right is they did that video game, uh, The Old Republic. It's like a Star Wars MMO, right? They did promotional cinematic trailers in, like, an animation style. It's like CGI, but it's very realistic. They did these trailers for that game that are so fucking amazing. It's like Jedi and Sith locked in these crazy battles, like, to promote the video game. And that stuff is the greatest bits of Star Wars I've ever seen. Each, <laughs> each, seriously, each trailer is, like, six minutes long. Really? I and all of my friends have gotten more entertainment out of those trailers than any of these new movies. Really? They own that property, okay? The fact that they have that many people working between Disney and Lucasfilm and they can't tap into what fans love. This six-minute trailer generates more buzz than these new movies. It's beyond me. Just look at what people are into for Star Wars and produce something they'll like, you know? But it's probably that way with every entertainment, you know? Like... You know, there's properties out there that are fucking amazing, and you just know if they get their hands on it, they're going to fuck it up. I just got that movie THX 1000. Yeah, yeah. Fucking on Blu-ray. It's definitely an out-there film, you know. But I, it's interesting, though. It's interesting, right. Well, ultimately, what's interesting is that fucking Star Wars is like the least science fiction out of like... It's more some, fantasy, you Yeah. Know? It, it's, in action you it's know? Joseph Campbell like occidental myth- mythology who the fuck's Joseph Campbell Joseph Campbell is like the world's foremost expert on mythology okay? oh yeah uh, there's all kinds of books right um, Joseph Campbell was brought into the process because Lucas was like look I want to create a ritualistic coming of age story these stories exist in every culture okay and in modern culture they exist in the same format Harry Potter Lord of the Rings People can knock those Harry Potter movies, but they're fucking good. I don't trust that Dumbledore. He's up to no good. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. You give people a ritualistic coming-of-age story, they'll respond to it. Meaning, it's a main character, whether it be male or female. Traditionally, it was male. That's obviously changing. Um, 
and they're on a mission of self-discovery. And there's always like a wise old man that knows more about their destiny than they do. There's always like a couple of like best friends that are on the quest with them. Usually one of them dies. And then you have like the more comical characters. And it's like this character has a destiny that he's unaware of that's going to be revealed to you. And that's kind of what Joseph Campbell like researched. It's like cultures respond to these stories. So Lucas brought him in like as an advisor. Like help me get this right because I want people to react to it. Even if they're not into this genre of storytelling, I want them to react to it, you know? Really? Um, what do you think of the OG Conan movie, the original? You ever watch that? Yeah, of course. I love that's, that shit. It's my favorite movie of all time. Well, I bought into, you know, I went and saw UFC back in January. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I liked what Master Rogan was saying about fucking, he does this whole, like, prelude to the fight where they talk about... Francis Nagano, this Nigerian-born fucking guy. Yeah. You know, he grows up his childhood. It's like Conan. Fucking, he's like in these sand pits, just yeah. shoveling fucking bags of sand since he's like fucking two years old, no fucking shit. until he's 20. Yeah. Sand pit fucking just shoveling the motherfucker. Just, you know, I'm like, ah, it's like Conan. <laughs> like, hey, that, I tell people all the time, people will be like, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, well, that's a hard one. I have like a bunch of movies I love, but my absolute favorite movie is the first Conan, the Barbarian, and they're like, really? I'm like, when's the last time you saw it? And a lot of people haven't seen it in years or maybe never seen it. That movie's fucking... I, there's times where I watch that movie three or four times a week, and I've never gotten sick of it. It's got some of the most minimal dialogue of any big-budget movie of the era. Fantastic score, though. Fa- my favorite score, Basil mm-hmm. Polidaris. Dude, the the combination Graveland worship. Yeah, <laughs> the combination of uh, Atlantean sword, the that track, and then theology civilization, the song that plays when him and Subatai are like running across the landscape. Right. Oh my god, it gets me every time. But there's scenes in that fucking movie with no dialogue that are like the the particular scene, the Atlantean sword. It's so bone chilling to me every time I see it. He's running from the dogs. He's just recently been freed from slavery. And he falls into that, like, outcropping of rocks. Yep. And he realizes that he's in a tomb. And they're giving you the idea that this guy sitting on this throne that he finds is like an ancient Atlantean king. Some type of warrior because he's got all this heraldry around him. And there's, like, his soldiers up against the walls in the catacombs. And he's got a sword. That sword there is the Atlantean sword. It's the most well-designed sword I've ever seen. If you've never seen it up close, I have the replica at home. Really? It's fucking amazing. This guy, Ron Cobb, the production designer, came up with a, a bunch of the look of the movie. You know, Thulsa Doom's look. He wanted each culture to look distinct and somewhat recognizable. Almost like corporate logos. Like, you see them at a distance. You know that that's the snake cult. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, that Atlantean sword is... a from an artistic standpoint, it mesmerizes me to look at. It's a hand and a half sword, so it's like broadsword style where you can two-hand it. But then it's got a, a spot on the blade that's not edged so he can like put his hand on the blade. He does some funky shit with it when he fights, you know? But he's in this tomb. It's his first week of freedom after being a slave for 20 years. And he's, you know, his fucking... The Sumerian ancestry worships Krom. And Krom is basically like god of the earth and like they worship steel, you know. 
He's been a slave. He doesn't have any of his own possessions. And he finds this fucking king leaning on a sword. And the mesmerized look in his eyes when he picks that sword up. Oh, yeah. And, and it's got, like, cobwebs flicking off the blade. And then he cracks all, like, the detritus off of it. Like, the it's, it's kind of, like, petrified. Right. And uh, that scene, no dialogue except him saying crom when the guy kind of, like, falls forward. Oh, man. And every time I watch it inspirational does it outrank red sonia <laughs> yeah i would think yeah <laughs> you know i've never think i've gotten through red sonia really yeah i must be kind of stoned and kind of like i'm such a lightweight that this half of a beer has like put me there that's a strong you, beer though like yeah 10 yeah. but you get me talking about that conan there's a good episode uh good edition of chips and beer magazine where they did like fucking 20 pages on italian sword movies there's a lot of that stuff yeah. metal george that's his realm of expertise really? bro any italian cinema yeah 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 he knows i would say there was a time where like me and him were both experts when it came to like metal right and now my realm of expertise is probably a a bit vaster than his because why do you he, think you're an expert no more at one time you say why, why what no the more? george was no but you too even well no no i think i kind of am now and yeah. then, so i would think there was a point in time where we were both experts in metal and then his interest drifted off towards movies more and mine okay, okay. and mine drifted more towards like i'm interested in all kinds of shit but like now i show him bands but then he'll talk to me about some occult Italian cinema that I've never heard of. Yeah. You go into his movie room, it's insane, bro. Really? Yeah. And now, like, you go into my music room, and it's like... The fucking you know, libraries. Over yeah, there. I'll have friends that are like... There's, I see 300 albums and CDs that are still shrink-wrapped. Like, you go into George's movie room, it's the same shit. Really? Shrink-wrapped DVDs that he's probably had for four years. Has he got a projector? I don't think he has a projector, but he's into, like, the VHS deal. Oh, like, God. You have to have different VHS players, some for the moldy movies, some for the clean movies, some for the semi-moldy movies. Because if you take a moldy VHS and put it in a clean VHS player, it'll infect the heads with mold. It's legit, bro. Like, dudes are into that VHS fucking shit. They get, like, VHS tapes tattooed on them and stuff. I can George- see George at the record shows with those glasses like the jewelers wear, just yeah. fucking going yeah. through layers of tape. I don't care what he says. Off. He's not Metal George anymore. He's, he's, not, he, he's I mean, Italian he, cinema George. Yes. George yes. <laughs> yeah. He's one of the most legit dudes ever, though, but we're a lot different in, like, a lot of ways. <laughs> like, we can't sit down and have a like there's no we can't talk UFOs. Well, we can't talk any conspiracy know, shit. Metal George wrote for fucking uh, Metal Maniacs. Zero Tolerance. Yeah, yeah he's a very he, well known writer. You, it, know? you know what's funny is every now and then I'll just like look up an older review of an album I love just to see what the internet consensus might have been in like 2005. Yeah. And I, every, every time I do it, I'll find a review with some contrary opinion that angers me. And then I scroll down and it says Metal George at the bottom. Because <laughs> if he doesn't like something, he's pretty honest and like unabashed will just write it off, you know? Oh, shit. Like, I, I love the Nile in the Dark and Shrines album, and he hates Nile. And like the other day, I was like, this album was like a moment in time. It's just so good. It might be like my favorite death metal album of all time which is funny because i'm not into american death metal like that 
But that well, that album is so amazing. So I was just like, let me see what the review consensus was beyond Metal Archives. You know, just type in in their Dark and Shrines review 2003 or whatever. And the first one that pops up is like just glowing. You know, Niles' defining album. You know. Oh, absolutely. And then the next one is like, yeah, it might be Niles' defining album, but this band's fucking lame anyway so like why would i care something to that effect and i'm like who the fuck is this asshole and i scroll down and it's metal george i'm like oh one of my best friends of course you know <laughs> but uh he uh i respect his opinions like fully you know even if they don't match mine because he's like just as passionate you know yeah now it's just about movies you know i'm not even really sure when the shift started to happen you know but his shift was like... You gotta turn the music down at some point. Yeah. I still haven't stopped, but... I get too jacked. I, like, I can't listen to new stuff after, like, midnight. Because I end up getting so fucking jacked it. on it. Yeah, Dude, like, I'm, I'll, I'll yeah. stay up till three then. Like, yeah. See, my usual bedtime... It's actually... I've been getting to bed a lot earlier lately. I used to tell people I haven't been to bed before 5 a.m. since 1997. And that, that was true for a long time. Really? Now I've been trying to like get into work a little earlier, um, so uh, you know I'm getting to bed like three ish. Very rare to get be- to bed before that. Yeah, and uh, it's hot with the Spotify now because you go down this fucking recommend rabbit hole. Oh fuck yeah! You listen to something like kind of new, and then you're like, oh, re- what are the related artists? You know, and then and that's the worst. Um, I I I believe that there's this condition called sundowning. I've dated a few girls over the years that can be like real horrible past midnight. Like if they're not a night person. Yeah. I also think there's other shit that happens. Like I think the human kind of genetics changes once the sun goes down, and you're like more bold with everything you do. Right. Try hitting on a stranger like a girl in the daytime, like at some fucking coffee place. It's not gonna happen. But at night, you just feel like a little more in your comfort zone. And my problem with my nighttime comfort zone is pulling the trigger on eBay and Amazon purchases. Really? If I go down that <laughs> Spotify rabbit hole in the middle of the day and I'm like, should I just buy that? I'd be like, no, I don't need to buy any more music this month. I've already spent 300 bucks. Yeah. Dude, if it's post-midnight, I'm just like, purchase, purchase. <laughs> Dude, that Amazon, like that Prime shit thing. It's too easy. In. It's too fucking easy, dude. And then, like, the amount of music I have, it's like, why even buy it when I have the Spotify, right? But I have this weird mental hang-up where I can't connect with the album unless I physically own it. No, know? I agree. I definitely and do the same, And I don't dude. think it's a bad thing, you know? Like I like Amazon for building basic discography, essential yes. discography. It's like all my Kiss albums have been yeah. coming out of that, yeah. you know? I don't know. They're reasonably priced, oh, it's you like- know? If you can't at, just go to a shop, though. There's nothing right. really happening anymore. No. It's all used. There's nothing new. Dude. But we, you can buy new Kiss CDs for fucking five bucks right. on Amazon all day long. Speaking of record stores, we got this Newbury Comics in Dartmouth. And sometimes I don't know why I bother, but I like a lot of people that work there. But their metal section over the years has gotten, like, okay. Yeah. And sometimes they get, like, new releases that you'll want. Um, and they've been in the same location since, like, 2002 or three. Now they're in the fucking mall. Uh, I went there this weekend to grab something. The new Sleep album came out. Oh, yeah. Not that I'm like the hugest fan, but it's like a seminal moment, so I figured I'd get it. Yeah. I was really looking for that new Voices album, but of course they didn't have it. That mall store, I walked in and I was like, this place is more fucking sterile than my doctor's office. <laughs> Not that I know, because I don't go to the doctor very fucking often, but uh, <laughs> like, it's 
at least the other store still kind of felt like a record slash comic store, yep. even though it's infected with like pop vinyl and like fucking Red Sox bullshit. Mm-hmm. Do you walk into this mall store and it's like the entire store seems like a giant display case for like pop vinyl and like Rick and Morty toys, and that bums me out, bro. Yeah, you know, animal and the, hats and yeah, shit, and the metal know? section is like relegated to the back, and that's because every year that our culture fucking sludges itself forward there's less and less fucking what's the word i'm looking for um cultured people you know well it's interesting because you know for years or somebody I, I worked at that fucking newberry comics oh i didn't know that which one several of them fucking oh, all right anyway so i can like they uh it was always a fucking battle to get a metal section right. in your store and right. it was so it was really dumb because there was tons of it and it was some of the most loyal fucking regular customers that right. we had. They were there right. every week, two weeks to fucking buy something new that came out. They knew the schedule. Right. And that's what's weird, though, is that that store, that which went from having, like, the average store was having maybe, like, 25 to 40 bins of music. They've all transitioned into malls, and now they sell fucking animal hats. It's all fashion. It's all fucking, you know, shit that fucking isn't music. Um, they they initially they've actually gone all out with buying vinyl now, like used vinyl. So people are just showing up there and loading collections. You like have to pa- like grandparents die and shit like that. Right, right. <laughs> no, it's it's definitely the the death of like physical media on that level is like definitely depressing as shit to me, man. I used to love going to the fucking Nashua store. My ex girlfriend Sarah, who you'll probably remember, yep. I, we dated for like thirteen years. We're still good friends. We first started dating, uh, her parents are from Townsend, and I used to go up there, we would go to that Nashville Newbury Comics. Right. That place was banging, they fucking had so much good shit, like, I remember the first time we ever hung out, like, outside of my area, we'd maybe only hung out, like, twice, and I went up there, and I was, I was really kind of pretending to go up there because I was excited to see her, and I was excited to see her. But, like, my real impetus for trying to get up north was that Absu Tara <laughs> CD came out. Yep. And I knew that they had one there because I had called, you know. It's incredible. And they, and, they, and they were holding it for me, and I was just like, we drove around, like, up north that night, listened to it, like, twice, and I was like, this shit's fucking so good. But That's I'm, a monumental yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually got that on vinyl from Newberry Comics when it came out. Yeah, and then Proscript of being in that band like pushed me onto that Malakesh band. That Sphinx Malakesh album. Those albums sound similar to me, even though they're not really similar. Like, they have slightly different vibes, but the speed is kind of the same, and the drumming is very similar because it's Proscriptor. Um, I only know Jin. That's it. That's the only Dude, thing I've heard by them. I mean, everything on that. Everything right? after that, like Epigenesis, is good. Um, they're a great band. They get so far into like that Mesopotamian kind of sound. Well, that's what as, they add, as, they right? As time goes Israel's- by, but the Sphinx album is like a perfect mix of like, if you've never heard it, it's just as good as Terra. As a matter of fact, if you put them side by side, because they came out within a few years of each other, I think. You give me Tara or Malakash Sphinx, I'll go with Sphinx. 
Yeah. It's fucking so good. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like, somebody from Industrial Light and Magic did the album cover. Like, somebody from George Lucas's company. It's this giant, like, Sphinx-type statue. Like, very, like, Anunnaki-looking. And then there's, a like, one person standing down by its foot who's, like, tiny. And there's, like, light shooting out of the head going towards heaven. It's one of those few times where the album cover and the music, like, really <laughs> match. Really? You know? That's, oh, shit. It's a... It's... It's thrashy black metal with like a Mesopotamian feel. Now, thrashy black metal is not my forte per se. Like, I like a few bands that sound like that. I but love that's, the uh, R&R, you know? Yeah. But not even in the same vein because it's epic. Right. It's like thrashy black metal on like the most epic scale. Um, you fuck with Disaster at all? From Germany? Yeah. I got a couple of their albums. Their Cold late, Steel their, and fucking... Their latest album is... Amazing. Are they still on Metal Blade? I don't think it's Metal Blade. They've never Can, been over it's, here. It's either Candlelight or Spine Farm, I think. I don't think they've toured here. They, I think they did an MDF here or there. The but. last song on the newest album is this track called At the Eclipse of Blades. Yeah. Again, thrashy <laughs> black metal is not my thing. I'm way more into atmosphere or stuff like we listen to in the car, like that Obsequay band. Um that fucking song that album in general the latest disaster to me is like a 9 out of 10 maybe a 10 out of 10 album right for me to give a thrashy black metal album like a 10 it's gotta be the songwriting is fucking amazing and that track at the eclipse of blades it's like this epic closing track like it would have to be at the end of an album just because of how epic it is right I mean listen to that song it's it's like addictive I would listen to that song in the car for weeks, you know, <laughs> just that CD didn't leave my car. I don't even think I listened to the whole of the album for weeks, you know, just that song and the whole album's good, you know, you know, sometimes there's that one song that just grabs your soul. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. It happens all the time to me. I don't know. I, I go through. I can't necessarily say there's nothing new this year. That's really fucking grabbed me. Uh at all i've been like discovering a lot of older stuff i'm trying to think of what came out this year that i really loved there's been a few things this year that i really liked um but i'm drawing a blank right now um oh the new akakake or akakak however it's fucking pronounced (laughs) is amazing that like nobody does it like them it's so good i've been on a kick this weekend it's just like i get on these kicks like something will happen either like a youtube video will pop up or something will like make me aware of it i'll be like ah i haven't listened to them in a long time and then i'll go on like a five to one week kick five day to one week kick where i can't get enough and then i'm doing stupid shit like buying reissues i don't need and a couple years ago i saw blind guardian play in uh worcester and it, like, sent me on this fucking journey to, like, collect, like... Was that the Nightfall tour? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. The one where they played a lot of stuff. Uh, dude. They played all of Nightfall. It was fucking... I was, that album? I You know, I'll tell you, though. I've seen Blind Guardian twice. Not yeah. really huge. Yeah. I love... I, I do like the, their albums, yeah. but I love their live stuff. But dude. seeing them live, yeah. I, I walk out of there... With this weird elated, high, elated, bro. Yeah, elated. like it's, it's like this elated, and like I ride this high, this yeah. blind guiding high. Bro. Yeah, for, for days. Real. There's something about it. The first time I saw them, they played at the Medley in Montreal. All right. Oh yeah, you uh, went up there, huh? Yeah, I went up there. For I that. saw Cryptopsy play as a seven piece hey, there. It was during, like, 
I just quit a job tattooing at a place I fucking hated. And I was in this transitional phase where I was just like, you know what? Something will happen. I'll figure something out. I don't know where I'm going to work. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks like just really hanging with my friends and just enjoying life a little bit. Because I could tell my career was starting to... I was starting to have to work more, you know. And that may be one of the last times I remember being carefree before I just started yeah. working hard, you know. And I went up there with uh, Sean Gallagher, his girlfriend at the time, a bunch of the dudes from The Accursed, a bunch of the dudes from Beyond the Embrace, Metal George. To, to this day, that medley show in Montreal, was it's the best set I've ever seen. It's the best show I've ever seen. It's the only ticket I ever got framed. Really? Yeah. And I've seen them maybe four times since then. This last time was amazing, but they sat us at this balcony table, and I was drinking beer out of this big fucking mug, and they were just playing, like, when they played the Bod song, like the slow one, I had, like, tears in my eyes, man. Oh, really? Yeah, I was emotional, yeah. And this last time I saw them in Worcester, it was the same feeling, dude. Yeah. They play Valhalla. It's very rare that I bust the phone out and like get video of shit. Yeah. I got video of that whole Valhalla. I'll watch it at home and still get chills, you know. That show was funny because we went. Uh, my wife was fucking talking to her friend Becky, and uh, she got fucking shushed. Like some dork was like, "Hey, go away if you're gonna talk." Yo, <laughs> like they got under- straight up shushed. I understand I was like, that. Oh, like oh, you got shushed, honey. I understand you go that. Away. Yo, I don't even. I don't love power metal. Okay? Yeah. There are times where I'll get into it. You know, I love running wild. Yeah. I don't necessarily consider them power no, metal. No, no, you know? not really. It's like German speed metal. Right. And there are some things I like. There, Like, there's that band Pagan's Mind. Like, they're pretty good. It's like a guilty pleasure and shit. And I like some, like, proggy power metal. Like, bands Angra. like... You know what? I don't love Angra, but I'm obsessed with that band Threshold. Okay. They're on Nuclear Blast. I believe they're from Great Britain. Dude, that first Nocturnal Rights album. That's good. Not the death metal. Like, the yeah. fucking uh, yeah. what a you mysteries heard, or whatever the shit it is. You ever heard of uh, Labyrinth from Italy? They're no. on Metal Blade. No. They got this song, uh, this album, Return to Heaven Denied. It's from, like, 1998. Really? Italian fucking power metal, and it's really good. You know the it, band Dark Quadra? Yeah, I, that's like such an acquired taste, but I like that shit. Yeah, you know, that's, I, I know you like weird. red hot gloves. There's a song called Red Hot Gloves. <laughs> red hot gloves. Yeah, I, I like anything that's like weird and sounds like that. You know, um, that is one of the weirdest bands. Yeah. I've, like his singing is so yeah. like fucking. Yeah, but yeah. the playing rips. It's like yeah. an Italian pagan yeah. altar almost. Like, well, I mean, there's a reason why like Manila Road is like one of my absolute favorites. But uh, same with Pagan Altar and Sirith Uncle. But yeah, man. So, like, power metal not being a favorite genre. I talked about this one day. Like, if somebody told you you can only have one metal album for the rest of your life, right? Just one. Just one. It's it's an impossible thing. Right. Right? Because there's a, one from each genre, you know? No. I can't have, like, St. Vitus, Die Healing, a couple of Manila Road albums, some Sirithungul, fucking maybe a Rotting Christ. No, you can have one. <laughs> I think I would take Nightfall of Middle Earth. Really? Yeah. It's so good, and I've listened to it so many times. It might not even be the best Blind Guardian album, but for one, it's about the Silmarillion, and I'm a Tolkien geek, and that's the best shit ever. The fuck's the Silmarillion? What is it? Silmarillion is like Tolkien's like Bible. It's like the back history to Middle uh, Earth. So it's very sacred. Yes. And that album is a concept about 
Nightfall in Middle Earth. It's about the Silmarillion. Okay. You know? They hired Tolkien experts to like make sure they got it right. Were well, they gonna pay those guys? You think? Probably not much. They could have just hired me. <laughs> I can recount the full synopsis of. What are you gonna do to get the Tolkien expert? Uh, you gotta go I to the cave and say no, your name I, and fucking I, Elvish and fucking. No, I think that you have to. I think you have to know the like the history of Middle Earth. So, this is the thing, right? From a pop culture standpoint, Tolkien is known for Lord of the Rings and for The Hobbit, you know, and. He died with, like, fame being new to him. You know, he was, like, in his 60s just about when, like, his book started to pop off. Most people don't know much about him. He was a philologist, an Oxford professor of languages. He wasn't an... Philology. Philology. Really? Uh, Which is, in a nutshell, I'm probably going to misdescribe it, but in a nutshell, philology is... The study of languages, how they originate, where they come from, and the nuances of how they sound. He became obsessed with Welsh and uh, Finnish, right? Finnish grammar, Welsh grammar. And he also became obsessed with, uh, like, hero tales. Like when he was in college, instead of having a frat, he had a thing called the TCBS with, like, C.S. Lewis and shit. The Tea Club of the Barovian Society. Barovian? Yeah, Barovian. So they would go to, like... This bar in, in like near Oxford. Well, I think maybe later in life they went there. There was this place, the Eagle and Child, that they used to go. It was like a little pub. They would just go like drink beer and tea and talk about epic sagas and myths, you know. And then he went to World War One. You know, he was orphaned by the time he was twelve. Both of his parents had died. Uh, uh. So the major themes of his writing are death, you know. And uh, he went to World War One. And he went with his five best friends, and two, three later, two, three years later, nearly all of them were dead, killed in the First World War. He started this book, the Book of Lost Tales, in the trenches as a coping mechanism, right? And um, you know, he saw warfare mechanized for the first time. He was there during the Battle of the Somme. It's like one of the early battles where the machine gun and the tank were introduced by Germany. Was that the Crimea War or some bullshit? No, I, I don't. My World War One history is not that good. Whereas, like my Tolkien history about his involvement in World War One is pretty good. I know he was he trained horses, cavalry horses, <laughs> he, so you get a horse comfortable with an officer, and then yeah. you'd have to give the horse up. But he saw he used to feel that warfare no matter what the situation could be noble and then once you see it mechanized the nobility of war no longer exists so he wrote this started writing these stories the the book of lost tales and it's a mythology he worked on his entire life it later became the silmarillion uh it's the history of everything in middle earth so like in the movies and in the trilogy itself sauron is the bad guy Sauron was just a lieutenant to this cat named Morgoth, this, this guy Morgoth. He was like the main god in Middle-earth's firstborn son. And when he realized that like his father, this great god, created Middle-earth specifically as a habitation for the elves, and they were his like favorite experiment, he became bitter, and he was originally named Melkor. And essentially, the story is about this 
Is that a band name too? Melkor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's three like band Dutch, names. Or you got yeah, Morgoth, yeah, Sauron, yeah, Melkor. Yeah. That's three bands. So, uh, yeah, Morgoth is the Dutch one. So anyways, like God's firstborn son descends into Middle Earth to throw down everything like that's built. His brothers and sisters are like the other angels or like gods of Middle Earth. Kind of like Greek mythology. Like one is Lord of the Waters. One is like lord of growing things one's lord of like mountains and he just makes it his life's mission to destroy everything they build and when the first elves are born he like captures them torments and mutilates and turns them into orcs are they jewish <laughs> what the orcs no the fucking elves no i don't think so i there's a zionist slant to them at times i guess but the elves are like they're kind of like the, Aryan? No, but they're like the most sacred. Middle Earth was created for them, essentially. And then man is like the second born. You yeah. Know? And the dwarves are actually like a mistake. So basically... A genetic disaster. No, no. They were created by one of God's sons. Uh. Uh, so like there's this thing called the flame imperishable, which is like the thing that exists out in space. It's like the spark that creates life in the Tolkien universe. And Eru, which is the main god of Middle-earth, is the only one that's allowed to utilize it, right? Everybody else can use whatever they want. So his firstborn son, Melkor, is, like, pissed that he can't create life. So he mutilates and changes life, right, and makes all the dark shit in Middle-earth. But he had this one son named Alwe, who was, like, lord of creating, like, the mountains and the valleys and... He was jealous. He wanted to make a child in his image, so he created the first dwarf, Durin. And when God found out, he was like, I'm the only motherfucker that can create life. I told you not to do this. Now lift up your hammer and smash him. And he lifts his hammer to smash him, and the firstborn dwarf cowers to the ground. And uh, when God sees this, he pities the dwarf, and he's like, all right, stop. Your creation can survive. But they have to be born after the elves come, and there will always be discord between the firstborn and your bastard creation because they weren't supposed to exist. And technically in Middle-earth, that's why the elves and the dwarves are like cats and dogs and they don't like each other. Jesus Christ. It's deep as fuck. Wow, so this yeah. is the whole fucking so like, it, it Abel go, and it, Cain thing. It goes even deeper. Like, Jesus. Th there's like a... There's like a prophecy of like this elven child that's going to be born. It's like one of the early elves that will be born with dark hair. And his name's Feanor. He's kind of like the Christ-like character. Uh, the Noldorian elven race is like the high elves of Middle-earth. And a lot of the story revolves around him, right? In the, what do you mean high? Like the, the so, like Tayakis of fucking... Yeah, so basically what happens is the elves, when the elves are born, I know everything, they're born around... The elves are born around the edges of this lake called the Quivienen. And when they're first born, Melkor, like, captures them and, like, torments them shit. And eventually there's, like, thousands of years of war between the elves and the dark powers. And the gods eventually intervene and fuck shit up. And they capture Melkor and wrap, like, a big-ass chain around him. And they bring him to this place called the Undying Lands... It's where, like, Bilbo and Frodo go and Gandalf at the end of the trilogy. It's an analogy for heaven, but it's like an island across the ocean yeah. that only elves and gods can go to, okay? Yeah, I don't see any boats out there. Right. The Hobbit jumped right. into that, right. but, like, right. 
So, but even they got the lake out there. There's it's some like shit a boat, about. There's know? some shit about boats though. So they take. They invite all after all these years of war with this dark dude Melkor, God's firstborn son. The elves are invited to go live in the Undying Lands, like heaven, and then they bring Melkor with them and throw him in prison. And he's in prison for like ten thousand years. During this time, this like chosen one, kind of like the Anakin Skywalker, if you will, of like the Tolkien mythos, is born. It's a dark-haired, fiery-spirited elf named Feanor. And he's like the greatest of his race. So when the elves moved to the Undying Lands, some of them decided not to go and stay behind. They're called the Sindar, the, the gray elves. And the elves that go across the sea end up be calling... I forget. I th- it's going to be in the exam. Right. Maybe the Eldar. But anyways, the, their race that lives in the Undying Lands are the Noldorian elves, the Noldor. Right? Yeah. And they're like the high elves, all right? And Feanor is the greatest one, and he becomes good at everything, you know? He's the best blacksmith. He's the best craftsman. And at that time in Middle-earth, there used to be like two lamps, one for sunlight and one for moonlight, and Melkor destroyed them. So it was like dark for a while. So instead they create two trees, right? One is moonlight, one is sunlight. They wax and wane every 12 hours, right? So they capture the light of the trees in these gems called the Silmarils. And Feanor is the one who makes them. So there's these gems that have the sunlight and the moonlight. And then eventually they let this Melkor dude out of prison. And he destroys the fucking trees. He goes up in the mountains and finds like this evil spirit called Ungolian, another metal band name. Ungolian? Ungolian, yeah. And it's this evil spirit in the form of like a terrible, massive spider. And they come down and fuck the trees up. And he like destroys the trees. The spider like puts her black beak to the trees and drinks all the light. And then they bounce back into Middle Earth. And. The gods come to Feanor and they're like, you built these fucking gems that capture the tree light. We need it back. Let us crack one open. And he refuses. And that's literally the first 50 to 100 pages of the book. Jesus Christ. And then it just goes from there. All right. So I went off on a tirade about it because I'm stoned. He probably wrote it on a fucking ferry ride or some uh, shit. No, he wrote it over the course (laughs) of his entire life. Really? He started it when he was 17. And he died. What, when he like wait for his wife to go to bed? And he was like, all right, I'm going to write. Again. I don't, you know, nobody that writes a piece of mythology, essentially they put like a lifetime into the backstory that nobody will ever read, you know. But um, the whole deal was like that's, that's the book he wanted to see published. And it never, the publishing company never would have put it out, you know. They wanted like a sequel to The Hobbit. And he wanted to give them that. And they're like, no, this is like impossible to read. Nobody's going to know what it is. So he gives them The Lord of the Rings, which took him like 12 years to write and is like 1,500 pages long. And that's just the tail end of the mythology. So like the Silmarillion is the story of Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings is the last two and a half years of that story. And, and there's experts it. that Blind Guardian hired to fucking yes. do this. Yes. <laughs> so the question is, though, is Blind Guardian better than summoning... Probably one of the most widely respected Lord of the Rings band summoning Austrian fucking very unique sound and style. That's a t- I mean, I fucking love summoning, dude. You know, it's hard to pick. It's hard to pick. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Know. I mean, 
I think they're the two top dogs when it comes to the whole Lord yeah. of the Rings subgenre well, of metal. Like, you know. So the last time like Blind Guardian played, I uh I went crazy and just like started tracking down all those Japanese reissues with the bonus tracks. Yep. And then I, I was like, it's a shame this isn't a box set. So I ended up going to like AC Moore and buying like some like box that would like decorative box and I put all the Blind Guardian in there. And then it had extra space. So I put all the summoning next to it. I don't really know why I did that. It's just, I guess, they're both Middle Earth bands that are close to my heart. But they just look right next to each other for some reason. <laughs> you know, you don't dig on that new summoning that much? No, I think it's good. It just didn't really hit me the, uh, with the full force of some of the other ones in the past. Yeah, no, I get that. What's your favorite one? Probably uh, Let Mortal Heroes or Doll Golder. I spent I'll, a lot of time yeah. with Doll Golder growing I'll, up. Doll Golder is the first one I heard, and I have to admit this. I think I sold it. Really? But I, it was like late 90s, and I don't think I was ready for it. That's cool. Let Mortal Heroes is the one that sucked me back in. Mm. I love Minas Mogul, though. But I think uh, Old Morning's Dawn, not the newest one, the one before that, is perfect. You know? That's a good one. I know people are divisive about these new vocals, you know. I haven't really read too much into that. I don't know. Fucking, I mean, we talked. I think we probably talked about Calendar Brood last time. Yeah, I like love that that's shit. a band that's just kind of like taking that style and doing a whole new fucking, a different level of it. You right. know, it's crazy. I mean, like, just just ridiculous metal out there. Man. I people want that. Fucking, they need another album, bro. It's been uh, a while. They started it. Calendar Brood or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, fucking, I don't know, dude. It's crazy how many bands now are like micro. There's like microcosmic scenes of specific shit. Yeah, you know, yeah. like uh, look at Demolich, dude. Oh, fucking, how many bands are trying to kind of like sound that way? Nobody, nobody's been Demolich, fucking. You know, fucking yeah. And now there's kind of worship. Well, same with something like you just said. Like, there's all kinds of bands. There's like Eldemar now. There's. Uh, Emin Muil I can't fucking pronounce it Because I'm like half in the bag Emin Muil That like fucking It's like a spot in Middle Earth That like the hobbits have to travel through That's like a labyrinth of Impenetrable razor sharp rock There's a band named after that It's like what? a one man project Razor sharp rock Yeah it's like there's a when <laughs> Yeah when the hobbits are trying to get to Mordor There's an area uh, That this band is named after It's just like it's like traveling through these rocky mountains, and it's like super treacherous. You know? Really, and that band um, is named after that. It's like a one-man black metal project, and it's like straight summoning worship. It's well, awesome. It it is awesome. I struggle with it at first because I'm like, why don't you just come up with your own thing? You yeah, know, yeah. Click as a tattooer. I'm influenced by all kinds of other tattooers, but. I do spend a lot of time trying to, like, make sure I don't emulate, you know? Right. Because you do want to have your own thing, and I don't think I could ever be, like, a stunt double, you know, which is what some of these bands are, but I'll listen to it. Yeah. Because there's only so many fucking summoning albums. Yeah, exactly. And those, you know, I mean, they've been around for fucking 20, 25 years, I think. So it's, you're, not, you're not getting anything. There's nothing new, you know. It's just it is what it is. Those two do. I like to know more about those dudes, Selenius and Protector. I interviewed them, fucking for the print scene. Really? Quite obscure them, yeah. How is their English? Uh, fucking educated. You know, there's, they, they live in Vienna. They're smack guys. You know, like there's fucking, another band. Um, hold on. 
there's another band that one of those dudes is in. Well, Selenius is the singer, right? Have you heard that band he's in, Amestagon? No. I think there's a dude from Abigor in it, too. Um, really good, man. It's definitely not in the vein of summoning. It's it's more more of almost like that orthodox black metal style, like on scop type shit. What'd you think of the new Nocturnal Mortem? It's awesome. I don't think I listened to it as much as what's that last one? Fucking Voice of no. Steel. Voice of Steel. It's so fucking good. That's the fucking. I I felt the same way. I thought it was it was fucking solid, but it doesn't really. I need to spend more time with it. Yeah. All right. This is the band. Metal Archives describes it as EBM, electro-industrial. Come on. Yeah. Ice Ages, and it's one of the dudes from Summoning, but it's really fucking good. It's actually metal. It's kind of like Dungeon Synth. It's Protector. That's his band. You getting into that at all, Dungeon Synth? Yeah. This stuff's kind of like Dungeon Synth meets, like, you know, black metal, right? Um, but it's still metal. But yeah, I like really like some of that dungeon synth type shit. Um, first albums from nineteen ninety seven, so ahead of their time maybe. Yeah. Um, See, I'm all over that fucking retro synth wave stuff. I love that shit. What's and that, like, dude? That Running this, in the night. What's that? Yeah, song? FM eighty four. Yeah, that yeah. shit's fucking so. Like that I, shit. I can't stop listening to that shit. <laughs> Put that one in the mixes. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Oh yeah. No but, shit. I don't think I heard that episode. That stuff's good though. Oh yeah. That's a memorable fucking song. It's really good. Um, I like that. Uh, there's another one called Eternus, like Solitude Eternus, the second word. Yeah. You know. Um, then obviously there's the Carpenter Brute. Like everybody likes that. You like that? Oh yeah. Well, I like, I like that the new one. Beta and all that. Yeah, Perturbado, uh, however it's pronounced. That shit's amazing. Um, there's all sorts of new... There's yeah. all this new fucking goth stuff, like Drab Majesty. You heard them? Yeah, I heard that. Um, I ordered some newer shit that's like in that vein. It's like Dungeon Synth with like light metal elements. There's a good one out of Heavy Chains in New, uh, New Zealand. They're doing a band called Crypt Vapor. That sounds awesome. It's kind of like the Goblin meets like a dungeon, some type of thing. Yeah, I can dig some shit like that. I get into like some weird, not that it's related to dungeon synth either, but I get into some like really weird, like proggy, like guitar stuff. There's this dude, uh, David Michael Mickick. Have you heard that shit? No. David Michael Mickick. Yeah. M M M. Yeah. You gotta Mickick. hear the, you gotta hear this one song it's called. I think it's called like six hundred and eighty seven days. I gotta check it all later. Yeah. Um, I think that's what the dude's called. I'm like mispronouncing it maybe, but you follow that stuff on like Spotify or whatever you have and then yeah. you follow that thread. Yeah. No, David Maxim Mickick. M I C I C. David Maxim Mickick. Yeah, and then it's like proggy guitar rock in a shoegaze kind of way, like depressing. Really? Imagine somebody with like Joe Satriani type skills. Okay. But playing a little more subdued with the rhythm track, like the whole of the sound being... Kind of like that depressive, like post rock sound. Yeah, first all like, like, like shoegaze type shit. Yeah, but then the main dude is doing like the most high tech, like strumming with it. Yeah, it's fucking amazing, dude. There's another band called Intervals that, like, I found recently that's really good. Um, 
Yeah. I found a lot of this stuff through OSI. You ever heard them? I've seen that name. I don't think I know It's exactly. like a side project from Jim Matheos from Fate's Warning. Okay. I love... That must be why I know that, because I love yeah. Fate's Warning. Thing. Yeah. But it's like... It's almost like Poppy. Like, you ever heard, like, Porcupine Tree or any shit like that? Yeah, I know that. I'm not really into I it. I like that stuff. Yeah. But OSI, to me, is, like, much better. They had the Porcupine Tree drummer for a while, right? Dude, I struggle with fucking prog, yeah. rock in general. And that's I like, like Camel and, yeah. and, like, I just got into Rush, like, two or three years right. ago. And this is different. This is more, like, modern, like... It's, like, modern metal meets, like, a Poppy kind of prog, you know? But it's good. See, I think Genesis is the poppiest prog. Of all I time, like that though. You know? Yeah, you see the it? Genesis documentary? No, this is wicked epic Genesis documentary. Really? It's got this fucking like crazy archive footage of like Peter Gabriel dressed up as like a fox, <laughs> or, like a nymph in the woods. You know? <laughs> Do I got to tell you like I, because I can be slightly narcissistic? Any artist that's not is lying to himself. I've definitely listened to the previous episode I did with you a few times. Oh, yeah. And it makes me feel even more narcissistic. And now when I hear this one and I go on that stone Tolkien tirade, I'm going to be like, what an asshole. (laughs) But but, uh, last time I fucking... You know how you listen to your own voice and you're like, damn, I'm a fucking idiot, you know? I said ironic like 500 times in that last podcast. You ever get fixated on like one word? Yeah, I've been saying really a lot during this one. It makes you sound like such a douche, but you don't realize it until after the fact. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of just like a receptive input, you know, and it's something, really. I'm in the zone right now too, bro. I never never drink or smoke. Yeah, Portuguese food, but what type of, explain the Portuguese dish that we had, fucking, because not everybody, you got to understand the thing about New Bedford is that it's very multicultural, very diverse, right, So and the fishing economy is pretty right, much, we talk right. about the quad father, fucking, it's very Portuguese. So I grew up with mostly my grandmother's side. My last name is Paquita, P-E-Q-U-I-T-A, or Paquita, you can pronounce it both ways. Um, that was my grandfather's last name from his family. We weren't as close to them growing up. My grandmother's side, their last name was Marks, M-A-R-Q-U-E-S. In 1971, my parents bought, my my parents, my grandparents bought into a, a bar. They purchased a bar right here, two pieces of property up from here. This is 1881, Akushinadav. I believe they were 1885, Akushinadav. It was called Big Jim's Tavern, right? Huh. And then years later, they changed it to a sports pub called The Bullpen. You know, back in the day, there was like this rape. We played the bullpen. Yeah, back in the day, there was like this famous rape case in New Bedford, at a bar called Big Dan's, and uh, this chick got raped on a pool table. They made a Jodie Foster movie about it called really? the, the Accused. Yeah, and my dad says no, but I'm pretty sure he changed the name of Big Jim's to the bullpen because there was so much confusion. People thought that place was Big Dan's. You know, really. My dad was a 21-year-old electrician in the 70s, and his dad came to him and was like, and he was kind of a partier, you know? He was like a hippie and shit, and, uh, which explains why he's a bleeding hot fucking liberal now, but um, <laughs> in a good way. Though. But uh, my grandfather came to him in 1971 and was like, I will match your electrician salary if you help me run this place. And whatever you do... You know, on the side, as far as like your social life is concerned, I'll look the other way, you know, with your fucking long haired hippie bullshit. Yeah. 
But my grandparents, specifically my grandmother, was she was born here. She was the first generation of her family born here. But she had, you know, tons of brothers and sisters and they cooked. Portuguese women of that area era cook, you know. So I grew up with this traditional Portuguese kitchen at my beck and call whenever I wanted it because they ran a bar and in the bar there was fucking a kitchen and it was open five days a week. So I grew up with all these traditional Portuguese plates. And when you're a kid, you're really picky and my thing was casoila. That's what we ate today because it was always on hand. Seven days a week, it could be put in front of me by somebody from my family. Marinated pork. It's, it's like ch- not pulled pork. People confuse it. If you break it with a fork, it looks like pulled pork, but it's marinated chunk pork, normally marinated in preferably Madeira wine or port wine. They're, they're similar, you know. And then they'll serve it with like either boiled potatoes or fries or rice. And it's amazing, you know. And then we had the codfish cakes. Oh, fuck yeah. That was... Codfish cakes bring back the nostalgia the most for me, you know. Because when you're a kid, you don't appreciate what's around you. You think it's going to be there forever, right? We had all of our holiday events at that bar. We shut the place down for Thanksgiving. All my family from Massachusetts would come. My parents sold the place in 2005. And that was it. That memory was done. You know, and then that generation starts to pass. Now, if I want to get that feeling back, I have to find places in the area where the cooking tastes similar. So during the holidays, my grandmother would make these huge bowls of codfish cakes. It's basically a fish cake with like kind of like a breaded outside, you know, and she would refrigerate them. They're so much better cold, but maybe it's just from nostalgia, you know. So that place we get them from. Yeah. If I have the time. I'll call like two hours in advance and I'll be like, look, I'm coming in. I'll call back and tell you what I want prepared for hot food. Can you make me two dozen cod cakes and put them in the refrigerator? And like after a few calls, they will like fine, you know, and then they'll, <laughs> they'll do it, you know, because there's something about it cold because hot codfish can be kind of gamey. But when you refrigerate it, it just tastes. Yeah, it's blanda. If we take them out of the fridge now and eat them, they'll yeah. be so fucking good. Really? Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Nobody from that generation is alive anymore. Like, my parents are still around, but right. my aunts and my grandmother, like, that cooking, it was so good, you know? Just appreciate people while they're here, you know? Right. Because eventually they won't be, and you realize, like, fuck, I, I could have spent more time. Oh, yeah. Know? And it's crazy that the cuisine's like the one thing like you typically remember a lot of yeah. the others for. And when it's, when right. that's gone, it's fucking, you know. And I don't think it's properly taken advantage of, you know. Dude, I work nonstop. So sometimes I'll like live vicariously through other people's Facebook. Oh, yeah? I haven't had a weekend off in years, with the exception <laughs> of a few, right? So like that nine to five kind of Friday lifestyle you were used to, even as a kid, you know, you went to school during the week, you had the weekends off. I haven't had that in a long time. So on Fridays, sometimes if I'm between appointments, five, six PM, I'll just like scroll through Facebook and see what people are doing. Oh, we're gearing up to go to Buffalo Wild Wings or fucking Olive Garden, right? Why? Yeah. Why would you leave this fucking neighborhood? Yeah. Within walking distance of where you live in New Bedford, there's some small mom and pop place in these little ethnic enclaves that's serving the best shit you've ever had. 
and you're gonna go give your money to some fucking corporate cunts at Buffalo Wild Wings? Fuck that, you know. Yeah, it's not that good over there. Mom and pop culture forever, bro. Yeah, you know? I support anything like that's brick and mortar. That's like small family run with a passion. I have no problem giving you my money, you know. Well, that's why I love this pot in New England. Yeah, I mean, it's like especially yeah. the stretch of fucking yeah. Route Six. Like, there's yeah. a ton, there's nothing too corporate yeah. down there. Really. I mean, you got Dunkins and you know maybe yeah, right. McDonald's, but it's it's not just with the food. It's like with everything, like. I try my hardest to not even use tattoo supplies that aren't that that aren't made by like a small companies run by other tattooers. No you shit. Know? Yeah. Um, if there's a corporation involved, I don't want to. If they're making money off of tattooing and they're not part of the trade, I fuck you. You know. Sounds like a socialist. It's a fucking cancer, if you ask me. Really? You know? Yeah. Yeah, man. It's just if that is kind of a socialist slant, but. And it's it's like that with everything. Like I wanna, I, I hate the corporate fuckery of this country. I wanna support the small business model, okay? Because when this country revolved around the small business model, it was just a better place. Yeah. You know, I think nobody will disagree with that. You know. Yeah, I mean, there's a good argument to be had about like right. how corporations like provide employment and you know like that. beneficial like that. you know like right. early employment for right. people you know and, and if they imply if they give employment you know and treat the employees correctly not like a commodity right but a lot of these corporations have track records for treating yeah the, and that's the tragedy because right. they're making the most right. hand and fist right. out of everybody you know right. you know it's just. Right. You know, small mom and pops right. operate to their right. capacity and fucking do it. Right. You know? Like, I'm in the process right now. Like, last time you were down here, I had, like, a fully functioning tattoo shop with, like, a business partner and employees and shit. And right a couple of months later, like, things just split into different directions. They wanted to move to a different part of the city. They wanted, like, a more functioning kind of business with, like, multiple tattooers and, you know... I wouldn't say more revenue-based because that's not what the impetus for the move was. But I just love this spot, and I, I really loved it being a little more low-key and private, you know. And uh, we came to an impasse, and I ended up kind of having to do this on my own. So this place is like – it's my place now. I'm the only one working. And in hindsight, it's one of the best things I ever did. But I do have to get somebody at some point, and I'm trying to – hire one or two people and i've talked to a few people and they're like well what are you offering and i'm like well i'm not going to be a boss <laughs> this isn't a corporation right i want it to be something that you want to come to every day so you're going to pay me a small rental fee you're going to get keys your first day you're going to come and go as you fucking please and if you need anything within reason i will provide it for you um, like one of the kids that might come work here, he was working for another shop and uh, his dad got really sick, diabetic complications, lost a leg, ended up subsequently dying. Fuck. And that job didn't work out for him because they were being kind of aggro about how much time he was having to take, you know? And he's like, look, this is my fucking father. Like, tattooing's going to be around for a while for me, but like, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. You know, I got to be here for this fucking person that gave me life, right? And they were like, well, your job might not be here when you come back. You know, I can't ever imagine being that way to somebody. Like, if I took on an employee that needed t 
time to settle that. We will do everything in our power to help them. And that's if you have a corporation and that's the model that you abide by, awesome. You know, you got places like Google that like give the women like awesome maternity leave and fucking you know, whatever. Naps at work and shit. <laughs> Yoga rooms. If you want people to if you want to get the most out of people, show them that you care, not that, you know. You do you ever think that Google would take on a fucking um a, a therapeutic tattoo? Just to be there in, in the fucking complex like Apple to like, yeah, well, we have a resident tattooer no, here. No, because tattooing's supposed to be edgy and there's not supposed to be anything therapeutic about it. But it, what they could do is bring on like massage therapists that offer happy endings. That'd be <laughs> fucking awesome. Uh, remember when Rhode Island that shit was legal? Oh, yeah. They just took it away recently. Prostitution no. was legal in, in Providence. I'm not saying I ever indulged in that shit. No. I think I said anal blast there. Don Decker went down there once fucking after a gig. I mean, it's a wild setup, bro. You know, I went once with a couple of buddies and like this, like, uh, whatever. It was legal at the time, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know how many. I don't know how many of my clients are listening. You know. Yeah. Probably not many, but we went up once and it was like the most bugged out scene ever. Really. It was like this house mistress that kind of did all the talking. She was like, you could tell it was her show. She ran it. She was like this older, like aging Asian woman, but she was still like, she's still kind of hot. And uh, she would like walk around in a bathrobe and shit. And I was with a couple of friends and they stuck us all in this fucking stand up shower stall. Like it was like a tiny room with like five spigots in a circle really and it was like weird because like you're an adult at this point you don't want to be the pussy that doesn't want to take his drawers off in front of his boys yeah so everybody's just kind of standing there like naked like wait under these like warm water spigots and she came into the room took her fucking (laughs) took her robe off and was wearing like underwear right but it looked like a combination between underwear and some type of like bathing suit that would like dry fast if she got wet. Practical. Yeah. And she went to every dude and there was like a little soap dish on the wall <laughs> behind each shower spigot, like your individual soap. And like something out of a hotel, she opened like a new bar of soap for each one and like lathered up your junk, bro. Really? Washed the whole nine, your your butthole, like everything, bro. Like just And you're standing there, you Yeah, with your boys. <laughs> and we're all and we're all looking at each other like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then like you go into your individual rooms and the, this particular place, they weren't rooms, they were like kiosks, bro. Really? But they were private enough, but it was like a step down, you know? You like walk into the place and like I'm not gonna tell you much of what I saw, but I think I definitely saw some like big kind of overweight like Federal Hill looking <laughs> Italian dude slamming away on some tiny Asian girl. You know? <laughs> but it was like a weird scene, and it was all legal and regulated at the time, you know. Yeah. And you could just get a massage. Oh yeah. Know? But they definitely offered other services. Yeah, like rooms by the hour and everything like that. Like, yeah, like you know, I mean. From what I understand, with that place, you could do whatever you wanted, you know. But did Trump just do something with like, um, what's it called the Sesta? It was like it was something to do with like sex trafficking and like. Uh, See, and that's the real problem with places like that too. Is like you start to question, right? If they're there, their own volition, you know. Yeah, that's a problem. Like, I people say it all the time. Why don't you just legalize it and regulate it? But I understand that. 
legalize and regulate everything, but like that is some nefarious shit, bro. Sex Absolutely. trafficking. Absolutely. Can you imagine some woman that you love, anybody that you love, being sold into some servitude role to where like they're just a fucking resource to be utilized until it's no longer viable, and then you just well, it's heroin addicted now. We'll just OD it. You know, yeah. that shit happens, bro. Right. That shit in that movie Taken isn't that far off, you know. As far as like that part of it, I don't think Liam Neeson is gonna like drive nails into your yeah, knees but, and fucking electrocute you via fucking a car battery. Fucking. But yeah, <laughs> I mean it's a fucked up world. I don't think women traveling through Europe should travel alone. Like women from America, just like a. A young, beautiful woman travels through Europe by herself. Could be sketchy, you know? Yeah. Somebody snatches you up and you're never seen again. Like, crazy, you know? It is fucked up. We were talking about, I was like, there was, was they talking about that British disc jockey there, Jimmy. He was like oh. a fucking knight. And, like, there was some yeah. island. Yeah, that. Dude, it was did like you see that island. documentary? What was that called? That's, I, that's, like, I know. They talked about a, it on Joe Rogan. Yeah. And Recently, then, yeah, and then I watched that shit, and that shit was fucked up. Really? Yeah, it was like hundreds of kids. Yes, it was like yes. it was something. But there was some statistic. There's a, a child that goes missing in Britain. Country of ten million people. Child goes missing every three minutes right. or some shit like that. Right, fucking crazy right. dude. Right. And apparently, this island was inhibiting all sorts right. of fucking, you know, and people from around the world would just go there and fucking. I guess it was like. Sort of outside their uh, international fucking uh, fucking law enforcement capacity, so to say. But G- Jimmy Saville, Sa- Jimmy Saville, Sir James Wilson Vincent Saville was an English DJ, television, radio personality, dance hall manager, and charity fundraiser. He hosted the BBC television show Jimmy'll Fix It or Jim'll Fix It, and. Uh, he was considered one of the most nefarious sex abusers in British history. And he he didn't get busted in his lifetime, bro. No, he's post-mortem. Like, right. they fucking... Right. Like, and that, dude, some of the shit they talk about was how they were helping run this, like, orphanage. He was giving all kinds of donations for it. Yeah. And they would keep it, like, full of fresh kids that were fairly undocumented. Right. And then they would do crazy shit to these kids. And then when it looked like they were going to start getting legitimately cycled through the system and maybe somewhere in the next few years an adoption might be happening, they would disappear. And it turns out they would take them out on this fucking boat and they would never come back. Really? The rumor was they would get shot in the head and dumped overboard. But, you know, people are like, oh, it sounds like a conspiracy, conspiracy theory or it's like... Sounds like bullshit, but there's like lots of evidence to support it. And what's even crazier is the evidence to support that some pretty key players in like British Parliament and like politics were involved. You know, See, uh, you hear about shit like that with like David Icke books and stuff. No, now you should never reference David Icke as a legitimate source, right? But well, you know, you've heard about that in those books, and then you hear this British story. You know, but the thing is, is uh, what's interesting. We talked about Pizzagate at some point, and like, I'm not necessarily saying like that whole thing was true. However, the whole fucking network of fucking right. sex trading and shit right. is a very real situation. I found it interesting that Trump actually went after that. You know, like right. like Roseanne got in some hot water because she was right. fucking praising the dude for like going after like a sex yeah. ring and shit right. like that. Right. Well, you know, the thing about conspiracy theories is like 
it's only a theory when it's not based in evidence, right? Right. Like I, I never go down this road with people anymore. But you know, the the obvious elephant in the room when we're talking about conspiracy shit is like the nine eleven situation. Yeah. And people get so aggro about it, you know? They don't want to hear that it could have been something other than what we were told. But, like, just take an educated mind and have them look at the general evidence. Because I'm not going to get into it on here, but that's an example. Like, look at the fucking evidence from both sides. Because I read a lot of the NIST report, which is what, like, the official 9-11 statement was based on. I mean, you just look at what went on that day read it all and use your mind and tell me that jet fuel brought those buildings down because it's not possible you know it's just not possible so if that's not what happened what the fuck happened i think i know what happened after years of research but you know our entire foreign policy is based on something that tell the average american who doesn't know this that all the forensic evidence was not really like sifted through. It was sold overseas to the lowest bidder for scrap steel. Okay, it's the largest forensic crime scene in American history. Yeah. And they did nothing with it. You know how much money they spent investigating 9-11? I don't Le- know. Less than $2 million. Really? You know how much money Ken Starr got to investigate a fucking blowjob? 50 mil. 30 million. Really? This is factual. Ken Starr. See, all that shit's going to come back to fuck over Trump. Because those yeah. Republicans put the standard in there in that law that says, yeah. like, you know, if what you did prior to being a president fucking can, right. as a sex right. offender, can fucking, right. you know. I'll tell you what, though. You can't knock the hustle. I would fuck the shit out of Monica Lewinsky, bro. Yeah? Dude, that... You respect the fact that he did in the Oval Office. It wasn't, yeah, you know, I like... Don't know. Look, that, that was, like, the look, real crime, though. Let's look, be realistic. I'm sure, I'm sure there's some females listening, okay? okay? So I'm not trying to sound misogynistic at all. I love women, and I have, like, equal respect for women along with men. But I got to tell you that that look of a semi-overweight girl with a huge rack and a beautiful face with that kind of, like, innocent eyes... Is like crack, bro. How could <laughs> you can't blame this dude? You can't resist that. That's coming in and out of the office every day, making eyes at you. You're not gonna do something with it. It's like putting crack in front of a crackhead, bro. Yeah. You know, you put a, a redhead with pale skin and large breasts in front of me and tell me like not to be interested. Well, that was uh, his thing, though. It was like know, Kennedy. He just fucking chased Ken- pussy. Fucking, I, you know? like All them stories like Kennedy and his bro used to run train, <laughs> bro. Those dudes used to run train. You know why Hunter S. Thompson loved the Kennedy brothers so much? Why? Because he said they had so much hubris. They got the job done, but those motherfuckers party till 5 a.m. Really? Oh, yeah, bro. That was their deal, you know? They could party, hot, party harder and longer than anybody. But they got the job done. And I, in my own personal life over the years, like I don't party anymore and I'm not wild, but that kind of notion that... Because I've been around a lot of people over the years that used being a fuck-up as an excuse of being lazy. Oh, I have vices and I can't get on top of them. Dude, I had times in my life where I burned the candle at both ends and then burned the ash, you know? And got my job done responsibly every day and paid all my bills and was like respected in my craft, but still fucking 
was wild as shit. You can do both, and the Kennedys definitely did both, you know. Those dudes were fucking doing gnarly shit, you know, running trains, getting high. Kennedy was, like, doing all <laughs> kinds of methamphetamines and shit, like. Well, he had that fucking crippling back yeah. injury and shit. Yeah, you want shit, that other like, beer? No, I'm actually, uh, like, halfway through this fucking right here. Sunday paper imperial stout. I'm fucking out of frame in here. 9.9 ABV. <coughs> fucking. Uh, that shit's fucking potent. Yeah, I gotta make a paper when I get back. I uh, I bought that last. I wanted to buy something nice. I was gonna. I'm wicked into heavy beers like chocolate stouts and shit, which is weird because I don't really love chocolate. But um, I don't understand why any motherfucker on earth would drink Guinness when like Young's Double Chocolate Stout exists. Or I've been on that Sammy Smith's Organic Chocolate Stout. Right. But I saw these last night. Yeah, this yeah, is a new one. Sunday paper imperial stout with coffee, nine point nine percent alcohol, sixteen fluid ounces, twenty four dollars for fucking four cans, bro. That's silly. These things are six bucks a piece. That's fucking silly. I'm kind of. I feel like it's worth it, you know. The well, it's the Red Dimple podcast, you know. It's fucking. Yeah. <laughs> this is an event, bro. I fucking. I had so much fun last time. I've looked forward to this since. I just feel like I monopolized the mic because I could just always talk. You what know? do you think I'm doing here? Fuck. I wanted no, I you know. to talk. You know, you know, uh, me I, ask all the questions? Yeah, for sure. You know what was a topic that I was going to bring up because we didn't know what to start with? Was uh, you ever fucking get into any of the bands that started as like super like extreme metal bands but ended up somewhere so much softer? You know the shit I'm talking about. You got like the Catatonias, the Sentences. Um, what else we got? Tiamats. No. Never got into any of that. Not Sama- really. Samael. No. Amorphous. Dude, some of that shit's so amazing. Paradise Lost. You don't fuck with Paradise no, Lost? No, I don't fuck with any of those bands, oh to be God. honest, dude. Yeah. They're I think, cool. I respect them. I, I mean, I really love that amorphous death metal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like Catatonia, I've really only kind of got into them via like most of the You know what? Stuff. Every single one of those bands that I mentioned probably doesn't have a single bad album. Yeah. There are albums that like aren't necessarily like the best, but dude, Paradise Lost has one of like the most pure, amazing discographies of any band I like because they went from like almost like a doom death band to like a gothic band with this like heavy vocals to like more of like this kind of like traditional metal band with some goth elements to being almost poppy to then going in complete reverse and then like going back into now their latest album has like deathy vocals all over it yeah and there's not like a single unlistenable album in the entire discography some of it's fucking amazing dude or like like, do you have a fuck with early Tiamat, like Astral Sleep? I get the Trey Blinken demo on vinyl. Yeah, that. Yeah. Dude, Astral <laughs> Sleep from Tiamat is one of the most underrated albums. That one's heavy, you know? But a couple of those bands had these fucking transition albums that I think you would find very interesting. Like Some of those bands annoy me, dude, but I still I li- like Bands like Lake of Tears kind of annoy me, yeah, but I you keep know, I listening never got, to them. Like, it's yeah. weird. I never got into Lake of Tears. I never really got super into Sentenced. But Sentenced early shit is... Do you ever heard North From Here, the death metal album? I must have. It's so good. So good. So Sentence originally had this dude named Tanelli Java that sang. And he's a tattooer in Sweden now, which is awesome. I talked to him on IG here and there. And uh, so he did like the deathy vocals for... He was also in Pale Nazarene for a while. 
He was the Impaled Nazarene bass player for a while, oh, yeah. which is fucking awesome, like on Erga Kama and shit. Oh, that's a good album. Yeah, so good. And uh, I think he was there all the way through like Sumo, Finland, Perkali, maybe one after that, Rapture. So he was the bass player and singer of Sentence. And then Sentence decided to be more of like a rock band with a clean vocal. So he did like the first two death metal albums, right? And then they had this third album called Amok, A-M-O-K. And then that was the last album he sang on. They did an EP after that, but Amok was the last full length. So the first part of the discography is death metal. The second part is like rock. And there's one album in between that's like the perfect amalgam he does this kind of crooning like yell vocal over these like gothy kind of tinged melodic death metal We're like shit terror now <laughs> no but <laughs> i'm trying to think of something i could compare it to it's the only album i've ever heard that sounds like that really? if you've never heard it you should give it a shot right. it's like a classic you know it's an amazing record it could be considered melodic death metal but not in that lame gothenburg format you know well not that I don't like some of that stuff, because I do. Yeah, that, dude, see, the thing is, I got really kind of spent on that whole fucking scene in general. Like, that was... that was. So you don't think Slaughter of the Soul is the fucking magnum no, opus? No, I like to run the sky's ass. Fucking, uh, but Metal that's George like, would tell you that nobody actually really has that opinion that that's bullshit, but I kind of agree with you, you know? No, I, uh, well, dude, that album's too perfect to, for me to fucking really I'll enjoy. Take it's the, like, I will take the Desultory Bitterness album over that album every day. Really? And it's two years before that, or maybe a year. You ever heard that shit? Yeah, it's like their fourth album, right? It's a, no, it's their second full length. What's the one with the fucking, like... I have it on tape. The Wolverine Blues Worship? No. Swallow the Snake? I fucking... Yo, that second desultory album, Bitterness. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so ahead of its time. It's like 1993 or 4. It's melodic death metal played from the Stockholm perspective, okay? If you took everything that made those early In Flames albums listenable and add it to Left Hand Path, that's what it is. Which, to me, has balls, you know? Not to say that Slaughter of the Soul doesn't have balls. I understand that it's seminal for some people. It's not that seminal for me, because I think there were bands before that that were doing that, you know? And it's seminal for ushering in so much bullshit. That's not their fault, though, you know? (laughs) That's the thing, dude. It's like that whole, you know, growing up in Massachusetts with metalcore... It was like right, this fucking right, ground zero right. for so many, so many fucking. Uh, I don't know. I know. It, it was just an, it, it was a great time to grow up. I don't regret it, but it's so weird, like how. Uh, I don't know, dude. There wasn't anybody with fucking vests and shit at the shows growing right. up and stuff. Right. And now it's like you got kids who don't buy albums right. at all, no physical media, but they show up with fucking the most obscure right. patches. Right. Right. It's just like okay, like you know. I I tattoo like quite a few more like. I wouldn't say like jock type dudes, just like normal type dudes, but that love like on earth or like my client yesterday has been seeing me since 2005. His name's Sean Botton. Shout out to Sean Botton if he ever listens because he's like one of my favorite clients. I just met him randomly in Swansea in 2005. He started getting tattooed and like he would get like his first tattoo was like a Rush logo. Then he got like soil work and in flames logos. But he's, like, moldable, you know? Because he doesn't know as much shit as I know. 
but he's got like fairly good taste, you know. And he'll go see like Unearth and stuff like that. And it's like I've met a lot of people that that's kind of like as far as their knowledge went, you know. Right. And then I'm like, you ever heard of the sultry bitterness? And then the next time I tattoo him, he's like, dude, I bought that shit on Amazon. That shit's amazing. Hell yeah. Like, I get a buzz from that. You Hell know? yeah. Um, but I've met, like, more and more people that are, like, they know Kill Switch and Unearth, but, like, you know, you play Slaughter of the Soul, and they're just kind of like, well, this is cool. I'm like, what do you mean this is fucking cool? This shit that you like <laughs> exactly. doesn't yeah. exist without this, you know? That's like, It is. It's like Robert Johnson to me. Like, it's like, yeah. it all started with this. Right. But it's like, yeah. and I kind of fucking, res- that's why I fucking resent that right. shit. I can't enjoy it because exactly. it's like, I'm like, Exa- fuck, this is like every. Right. right. Exactly. Like, uh, dude, I know I, that's, I was going to make a point. I forgot what it was though, but it's, it's so true, man. It's, I have a hard time with it myself. Well, I like running this guy's ass because it's, right. it's complicated. And that's like the proggy fucking shit that they're doing there. You know? Right. Look. I will admit this, okay? I'm going to admit, like, a dirty truth. Uh-oh. I was into metal during the 80s, This okay? is dirtier than Federal Hill and massages. <laughs> well, dirtier than selling <laughs> fucking um, Italian ice to, like, crackheads. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great story. <laughs> Getting robbed. Fucking that pot, the pot where he talks about the fucking police force shitting in front of him. Which dude is that? That's Evan. Dude. That episode with Evan, I'll listen to over and over again. You know, I've listened to that shit with clients and had to stop it because we were laughing too hard. Dude, the part where he talks about how he like runs in drunk and dives on symbols like Kirk Cobain while his boy was getting a blowjob. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's so good. But uh, no, the dirty truth I'm going to admit is that I was into metal in the 80s, okay? Like my first experience with heavy music was 86 somewhere in time okay i had like a neighborhood friend whose brother was super into metal he had all the posters in his room like he was even into like creator and destruction back then you know so i got like i I had like creator coma of souls when it came out and i was young you know like i remember buying rust in peace when it came out and i remember my friends buying altars of madness and i wasn't ready I'll admit this. I recently just bought my first copy of Altus of Madness. Oh, shit. Because I love Steve Tucker era. You yeah. know? I think Steve Tucker era is way better than David Vincent. I know that's blasphemy. But anyways, I remember my friends buying like Deicide and Morbid Angel. And I just wasn't feeling it. Like the vocals. And, and that's when I split. I started listening to gangster rap and hardcore punk. You know, the same weeks I'm buying, like, Ice Cube, Kill at Will, I'm buying fucking Minor Threat discography. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would say from, like, 92, 93 to, like, 95, 96, I had this three, four-year stint where, like, metal really wasn't part of my vocabulary. And then one day I just, like, went through my tape collection and busted Maiden back out and kind of got reacquainted and then some of the hardcore kids I was hanging with were like bumping Slaughter of the Soul. And I really didn't care. They were like, this is amazing. He says go at the beginning of one of the songs. And I was like, you're so lame. <laughs> so, but, uh, 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 right. I mean, whatever. It, it didn't really captivate me, you know, the way other people did. And then I heard, I fucking hate to admit this, dude, but I think I heard that In Flames... Um, shaped CD 
uh, I forget what it's called. Black Ash Inheritance. It's got that song, Goliath's Disom there, David's. And it was like the first time I heard guitars that melodic with screaming over it. And because it wasn't Cookie Monster screaming, I was like, yo, what is this? Right. And it like invested me back in. And then within a couple of weeks of hearing that, somebody showed me that Crown Eternal Death record. They used to be Crown of Thorns then. Yeah. And that spoke to me on like the most profound level and then i heard like entombed wolverine blues and then from there i don't think it took more than a year before i was like impaled nazarene okay that's a little heavier stack that piece on and then somebody would show me something else i'd be like i'm not quite ready for that that's like too heavy and then we went to see a bunch of bands play and i saw nile like during that first full-length tour, like Amongst the Catacombs and Nefren Ka. Yeah, with Chief Spires on vocals. And watching Carl play so technically, yeah, I was just like, yo, I think I'm ready for some like brutal death metal. So I bought that, and then I started like getting some other stuff, like uh, maybe like Impaled fucking um, The Dead Shall Dead Remain. I think that's what it's called. What's that Impaled record? Uh... The one the, with like the shitty toilet on the front. It's kind of like the Dead Shell Inherit. No, that's the Bathroom well, album. Yeah, Deadest well, of the Dead. Yeah, something like that. No, that's Entombed. And, and then like oh, yeah. Exhumed. And, and like at the t- at the same time, I'm discovering like Choice bo- Cuts. No, it's not Choice Cuts. I think it's called the Dead Shell Dead Remain. But um, you know, and at the same time, I'm discovering black metal and like, admittedly, my first few forays into black metal were like more melodic. You know, but it's like. What, like Dissection? and Dissection for sure, but I still don't fully consider Dissection a black metal band. What, like heavy metal? I think they're more... Evil of, heavy metal? I think they're a blackened death metal band that kind of created the genre. The Dead Shall Dead Remain is that impaled record, um, according to Metal Archives. But uh, I feel like I'm on Joe Rogan because I got the internet and we can yeah, research it. Yeah, fucking the guy over here. But um, so dissection is one of the early ones that got me in. I think maybe I heard like that old man's child, like fucking pagan prosperity album, and then. Uh, but dissection, from an ideological standpoint, like what he aligned himself with from a social perspective, Same. is definitely black metal. Oh yeah. So in that sense, I think that John Nodvade would have considered himself a black metal musician. Yeah. But I don't think they're black metal. And I had to come to grips with that third record, that Re and Chaos. And yeah. And now I think it's amazing. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. It took time, though. Ten years. That Dark Mother Divine. Well, it's got that fucking breakdown. Black Dragon's a fucking Yeah, that one's good, song. too. But Dark Mother Divine, that part where he's like... What the fuck does he say? His plan's off the chat on that. Doc, mother of wrathful chaos, travel forth through the gates. I think that's how the the lyric starts. He goes into this breakdown at the end of that song. It's bone chilling every time you hear it, you know? And then he offs himself like a couple of months later. Right. But um, I think the first record I really bought that I would say could be considered something in the black metal vein, even though it's really progressive, is like that Bork Nagar, like Olden Domain. Yeah. And uh, I love that stuff. And it's those small increments that you get into that lead you down that path. Like you put a blaze in the northern sky in front of those types of ears, they're going to be kind of shunned from it. But you give me like Olden Domain, I can dig it, you know? 
Then yeah. a couple of years down the line, a blaze in the northern sky sounds like music to me. Like if I take some kid off the fucking street, like one of my clients that like is new to this shop, and he's listening to Unearth, and I show him fucking I don't know, you know, something that's just completely uh, demilitarized, right? Yeah. He's going to be like, yeah, Akakaka. He's not going to know what to do with it. Exactly. But if I show him, you know, I don't know, one of the Impaled Nazarene records, right? It's not quite in flames or like Unearth or something, but there's some leads and solos, you know? Oh, yeah. Try and like nail it into his head. This is just as good. It's just a little heavier. I've always used the phrase, uh, even with my wife, I'm like, you're like, particular death metal albums i'm like honey this is an advanced listen right. you can't just jump into it you right. know like fucking you, yeah. like yeah you put blast note on in the car for like your woman yeah it's not gonna play out for her like one of those middle era opeth albums you know? <laughs> that's a fuck it's you know entire art type shit i guess you would call it like basically you have to be trained Right. You know, and right. to listen to that, it's it's weird how your ears literally have to train to well, listen you, to fucking. You put on you know. an Ingmar Bergman movie for some kid that watches Transformers. Yeah, yeah, you get it. You may get him to like the Ingmar Bergman movie. Yeah, after years of like slowly pulling him away from, you know, they're both movies, right? You know, that's what you know, Unearth and fucking, I don't know, Cathelist. Well, like, you know, fucking any of those types of bands, like those newer dissonant death metal bands, First Fragment, both metal, you oh, yeah. know, but if I put on Cathelist for the kid who's only listening to Unearth, he's going to be like, this is Pots and Pans and Chaos. Yeah. Whereas, like, I put it on and I'm like, wow, this is this is cutting edge. And that's the thing about newer bands. We're talking about people that only like kind of like older shit. I like seeing how things progress, right? So, like, with my tattooing in general, I've tried to keep uh, progressing technically but keeping kind of a classic, timeless feel to my work, right? I don't want to do a tattoo and have somebody know what year it was done in. That's why I stick to, like, keeping the imagery a certain way. It's drawn in... Like, I'm not the most traditional tattooer, but I'm also not very new school or modern. I'm, like, right in the middle. It's illustrative, and it looks modern, and it's well executed, but I'm kind of looking at timeless styles when I draw. Every now and then, a metal album drops that's so technical and so forward-thinking that you wonder if somebody's going to listen to it 10 years from now and know it's of an era because of, like how it sounded right but then every now and then somebody releases something that's so technical modern cutting edge and contemporary but it's so well written that it's fucking timeless right and that seems to be happening more and more nowadays as far as i'm concerned like there's bands that have like put together there's so much for them to look at right as far as like influence is concerned that they can now put together a piece that is so cutting edge in how it's written but it it'll probably be a timeless record years from now. And a couple of times a year a record like that comes out and it grabs you. Oh, you know? absolutely. But it's definitely progressed from a technical standpoint, you know. Have you seen it like as being in a band with like the recording process and just touring with other bands and oh, absolutely. you think bands are playing more technical than they were 10 years ago when you see them play? Yeah, I think it's it's a combination of factors especially with uh, death metal, the, uh, you're seeing more strings now. 
There's yeah. more seven and eight strings out there, so that opens up the door to like new shit. You know, drummers are playing faster. And, you know, like somebody was talking about like you know we were talking about hockey. There, there was like Tony Maserati was on fucking Twitter, yeah. and he was saying that like. Um, you know, and this isn't a bad point to make, but he says Ken Dryden's a better goalie than Tuka Rask. Because, right. like, the argument was is that Tuka Rask was better. He's got a better postseason fucking right. uh, save percentage, right? right? But the fact is, you kind of take a step back and go, shit, how many players in Ken Dryden's era could shoot the puck over fucking 85, 90 miles right. per hour? Right. Right. Every motherfucker out there now is shooting fucking, right. you know, 100. Different you era. Know? What do you think the most technically proficient band you've ever seen up close and personal was? Live, whether live or being on tour with a supporting band or a band you were supporting, like standing there watching it from a technical perspective and going, "This is fucking cutting edge tight." Well, you know, I've seen. I I toured with Necrophage just fucking up in Canada. Yeah, I've seen them fucking like thirteen times. How is Naraxis live tight? Yeah, fuck yeah, tight. You got to be tight for that. I mean, it's a guitar player's band for the most part, you know. But right. then, like, but then I've seen fucking dying fetus go out there and destroy everybody. Destroy everything. I've yeah, never gotten into dying fetus. Really? I got respect though. Oh, dude, they were incredible at Metal Fest last week. Dude, fucking. I. A couple of those, Jack Koshik presents. Oh, I partied Jack with a few Koshiks. of those fucking Misery Index dudes. Oh yeah. They probably won't remember this, and I'm not gonna say anything about some of the shit that went down. But there was one particular weekend. Where we were in the same hotel as like the Misery Index dudes, yeah, and it was fucking out of control, bro. <laughs> Dude, it was that. It was the fucking. Uh, there was a convention hall across from the Asbury Park. I'm not gonna say who did it, but somebody from New Bedford cut hoses on all the ice machines in the entire hotel. Really? So it was like flooding in the hallways. <laughs> And the, you could get on the fucking balconies and unlock windows to other rooms. Yeah. We were, like, finding people at the convention hall and, like, showing them into free rooms. It was a full-on, like, five-alarm fire party. And, like, <laughs> and like those dudes were chilling with us all weekend. We had to make a, a bridge of couch cushions to get into our room through the water. It was fucking nuts. <laughs> really? But, you know, the, year, the year before that, the year before that, we were in this place, Pensacola, New Jersey, or some crazy place. We were staying in some hotel, and like a bunch of the Metal Blade bands were on one floor. This is a good story. You'll appreciate this. And uh, we came back. Some of us stayed at the show later to watch Nile. And like one of the accursed dudes, his car got hit. Some drunkard left his car in neutral, and it rolled down the hill and smashed like one of the Helm Brothers' cars to shit. Oh no! And I remember at the time, like Tim Helm, uh, Tim. Uh, Tim Giblin was asking me like stories about how many girls I had slept with. He, and I was like, I'm not that bad. And he's like, I could just tell by talking to you that you're a man whore. It was just like a really funny conversation. And I was like, we were just laughing our asses off and having a good time. And I remember somebody came and got us and they were like, we got to go. The car got smashed. So we get like, leave this show. I'm bummed. I have to leave Nile because they were fucking clicking on all cylinders in this tiny club. So they get us back to the hotel, and I'm all pissed off, right? And we get up into the hotel. Glenn Danzig's in the elevator with us, right? <laughs> looking like shit, you know? Then we get onto the floor, and there's like a Monomoth dude's like running around and shit. Shagrath from Demu Burger was like coming in out of the rooms, being an asshole. Really? Dude, like 35 people partied in our room. We ordered Chinese food. And they're like, what do you want us to do with the empty containers? And I'm like, throw them at that wall as hot as you can. So by morning, there's like a fucking five foot tall pile of low main, like petrified to the wall. Right? 
So, dude, we're partying like crazy. There was this girl. I think her name was fucking... Actually, I'm not going to name her name. There was some girl that used to follow Beyond the Embrace around. One of the dudes from Beyond the Embrace married this chick. And her friend tagged along. And she was kind of this like... She was like overweight. She looked like a female Lemmy if he was like 200 pounds heavier. It doesn't paint the prettiest picture, right? And uh, Amon Amoth dudes were partying with us. And I was like trying to talk to them. And their English sucked. But they were kind of nice. And one of them was like, blah, blah, blah. He's getting his dick sucked by that big girl. And I was like, wait, what? I got to see this. So one of the Beyond the Embrace dudes had like a video camera that had like a night vision feature. So I like broke into the Amon Amoth room and the drummer was like trying to get domed up. And I was like, what's going on here? And he like jumped out of bed. You know when somebody tries to chase you with like, like pants around his ankles? <laughs> yeah. He's like stumbling across the room with kind of not the most... Kind of not the most, like, sizable dick, you know? And he's like, yo, motherfucker. And I was like, I didn't know Swedes had dicks that small. Like, just fucking with them. So that was, like, how the night popped off. And, like, I remember us getting so wasted. And Beyond the Embrace had this roadie named Johnny Thumbs. That's what we called him. He's still in New Bedford and shit. And uh, I remember we fucked that room up so hard that nobody would stay in it but me and him. So we're partying, like, late at night. And there's a... On the door, like a loud knock, right? I open the door. There's this disheveled motherfucker with like spiky blonde hair. Two strippers, okay? One of them was mad small, like almost midget status, but wasn't. Yeah. Leather pants that are five times too tight so you can see his whole shaft. And tube socks that are flopping behind him drenched in some kind of fluid beer or something. Shirtless, right? He's like, all right, this is where the party's at. And I'm like... It is. And he's like, I got cocaine if you got weed. And I was like, come on in, sir. So he comes in, and we're in the bathroom because it's, like, too loud to have a conversation in the room. And people that are on blow, not saying it was me, they talk a lot. So we're in the bathroom, and, like, I'm smoking a joint. And there's another knock on the door. And he's this guy that shows up shirtless with the leather pants is convinced it's cops, right? He, like, forces me into the shower stall and turns the water on. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, I'm trying to put the joint out. I'm like, you could have thrown it in the toilet, you <laughs> Exactly. Know? So an hour goes by before we realize that it's Dave Brocky from Guar. Right. Right. So do we get fucking wrecked with Dave Brocky, dude? So me by the end of the night it's me Johnny Thumbs and Dave Brocky fucking shit house like just speaking in clicks bro you know what I mean like there's HP Lovecraft story where like the family becomes like extraterrestrial cause something crashed in their well the color from out of space and they're like communicating with like uh, uh, like clicks and beeps and that's how we were in that room bro just fucked you know and uh, like creatures from a Lovecraft story and in the morning I wake up. There's like a perpetual fucking haze of cigarette smoke in the room. And there's somebody sitting on the end of my bed. And it's like a semi-disabled person. I think she had like downs or something. I had seen her at the show. She was really nice. I guess she follows Guar on tour. And she was like follow Dave around because she wanted to like just chill with him. So I wake up and she's sitting at the end of my bed staring at me. And Johnny's in his bed looking at me. He's like, bro, she's been staring at you for an hour. And Dave rolls over and he's like, it's all right. She's at every fucking show. It's cool. And he's like <laughs> asleep with like two shirtless like fucking strippers. 
in these leather pants. I don't know. It was just like one of those times. Like, it could only ever happen once. You know what I mean? So before we left that hotel room, we didn't know what to do with the room itself because it was fucking destroyed. So I took every empty cotton of Chinese food and empty uh, beer can and all the furniture we broke, which was everything, and I put it in the drop ceiling. And when we left, the drop ceiling was like sagging. (laughs) The drop ceiling in the bathroom. The drop ceiling was fucking sagging with like shit dripping out of it. <laughs> and then weeks later, I called Sean Gallagher's house, the singer of Beyond the Embrace, and I pretended to be like a hotel person talking about how I was like, yeah, we found a bunch of broken furniture, empty beer cans, and three dead cats in the drop ceiling, and we need to charge you a card. Dude, and he's like calling me. He's like, bro, my mother's calling me at work and shit. It took us like 10 listens to figure out it was you, you know? <laughs> You got any awesome fucking tour stories like that? You must have at least one. No, I was there smoking weed with Dave Rocky, though, when you were in the bathroom. You were there that time. All right. Yeah. Yes, that's right. All right. I totally forgot. Just after the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Fucking, and uh, we were talking, he was talking Redskins. It's it's so nice to tell a story like this that everybody thinks is bullshit and be like, no, No, fucking (laughs) That's the year we met, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dude. I'm like telling. I you remember this, meeting him on a map yeah, back then. I it was tell like you the story. You were there. Yeah, that's right. I'm, Ted I, and Wally. Yeah, they I came in there. I can't oh. believe I didn't remember that. That was a fucking great. Giblin weekend. brought me down. I got. I went to that, that show because I got a bloody one. nose yeah. during an accursed show, and they were like, "We're taking you to New Jersey, brother." That was like, fucking so awesome. I miss that shit so much, bro. Like I said last time, I went to five of those Jack Koshik fests. Yeah, dude, we saw Sentence play once. This is crazy. Sentenced an immortal. And Impaled Nazarene with the kid from Children of Bottom playing. Right. How many people you know saw Alexi Leho from Children of Bottom play with Impaled Nazarene? Not many. Might be sketchy. First fucking ever sentenced appearance in America at this shitty tiny club in Pensacola, New Jersey. Mach Metal Meltdown 2, 1999. <laughs> and there's this guy in the crowd. He looked like Bubbles from fucking Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> yeah. Right? And he's wearing a sentence to muck long sleeve that's been washed 800 times. So he's been wearing the shirt every day for four or five years. And George is talking to him. And he's like, this is like the seminal moment of my life. This is my favorite band. I drove by myself on vacation time from California because I couldn't afford plane tickets. I am fucking so ready for this. And they got to play four and a half songs and they cut the power (laughs) on him. Dude, they're supposed to play for like two hours, right? <laughs> this fucking dude. I mean, it looked like somebody raped his mom in front of him. And, you know what I mean? Or it looked like he put a VHS in the fucking player. He didn't know what it was, and it was like a video of his parents fucking. Like the look on his face, you know? Terrible, bro. Terrible. That's like what happened when we saw Demolitz. And the whole like three reason, songs. The, the whole reason for it was because that band fucking Bad Luck Thirteen Ride oh. Extravaganza <laughs> yeah. was playing on the other stage, yeah. and, they, <laughs> and they like and des- they, they like destroyed the venue, and the fucking venue owner was like, "That's it, we're done for the night, bro." <laughs> Fuck. That's what happened with Demolitz playing. Oh yeah, it was like thirty people. Like, but like there was five bands booked on the fucking bill, and they like w- walked up to the stage at twelve twenty. Took twenty minutes to set up, and like shows usually always stop at like tw- oh, quarter of, quarter fucking one at O'Brien's. But uh, yeah, they they played for, they were on stage playing for not even twenty minutes. Like you know, played three and a half songs. They got cut. Right, the power just shut off at one o'clock. So. That sucks, dude. 
Yeah. How were they good though? Yeah, it was fucking unreal. It's surreal seeing this fucking band. It's it's fucking more fucked up to see them twice this week coming up where they're, uh, you know, they moved fucking like four hundred tickets in fucking four hours between two cities. That's what's mind blowing to me. You know, I was what? just talking to the engineer Sean uh, Shane Frisbee about this. Yeah, because well, it's. He was like, dude, he was yeah. telling me, he was like, I got that from Spinnaker's in the dollar bin fucking when it came right. out, and nobody fucking oh took God, it serious, you know? bins, bro. Yeah, and it was like fucking like, like yeah. that's what it was. So it was like yeah. the Spinnaker's yeah. fucking one dollar fucking right. like CD. I saw Metal of George buy Pagan Alter Volume 1 out of that thing for three bucks. Yeah. Like, oh, this shit's amazing. Like, what? Um, it's so funny, the shit you're into that you didn't realize you were going to love. I oh, bought yeah. Carnival Bazaar from Cathedral from there and returned it before I ever listened to it because I found out it was from Britain. And I was like, I only want shit from Scandinavia. <laughs> I thought this was a Scandinavian band. I didn't even know what it was, you know. Took, like, fucking one look at it and was like, ah, Britain, you know. But uh, what, that was, like, the blind buy era. Now Cathedral is one of my favorites. But um, what's that band you've been describing on some of the podcasts that – is like traditional metal, but you're like, yo, you motherfuckers need to like wear like a vest or something. Like the button down shirt thing ain't working. Oh, uh, Golden Hall. Golden Hall. Yeah. yeah. What do they sound? What are their deal? Is they're it good? fucking epic. They're, they're too epic to look that at. Is it like Eternal Champion type stuff? No, no. It's not like that. It's like really. more like a Monomath or something. It's more like Berkeley uh, Monomath like type sort of thing. No shit. And yeah, they, operatic sort of like. Uh, they just look normal. Yeah, they, they do. Archives page? They do. Yeah. I, well, I think they might. I'm not sure if they have a picture really, but like, yeah, I, the bass player's got to figure it out. He went up there with his fucking, you know, he's in shape. He looks good. Fucking, he, he's got right. a vest on with just an Iron Maiden back patch. You don't have to be that creative, you know. Like, just you know, seeing a button-up shirt and fucking, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, like, right, right. I, I don't know. Especially with the fucking whole perception of being a Viking. They didn't have that. So it's, <laughs> you not, know? it's not coming up because it's like they... It's the, probably just one word. It's like once sent from the Golden Hall is the Amon Amatha. Oh, yeah. You think they're that's named the after that? If they're they named, very well they, could be. That's kind of tough for me, bro. Yeah, you're not into the Amon Amath. Well, well, not necessarily think it's bad. They got some albums I can jam with. Remember I mean, we saw a fucking Amon Amath tour with fucking Behemoth? And yes. And played the Met Cafe? Yes. yes that, I mean, that was good. Amon Amath played that. Yeah, those are their first tour. No pictures well, of the Well, first bands. American tour, I think. They I could have, be wrong. On, well, I know it was Behemoth's EP. first American tour. Um, you know, naming your band after a Monomoth, just... If somebody comes up to you and they're like, my band is called fucking... Like Soul Side Journey. Yeah, yeah, like an ever flowing stream. I yeah. can like get around that, you know. Oh like, yeah, like an ever flowing stream. Oh, something like that. With periods know? in between every yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I'm on a mouth. It's too soon. Even though they're like a veteran band, I don't see how they got so big. Well, I actually I do. I have a theory about that. Oh yeah. I Pete think Attack. I think the uneducated the uneducated metal fan because they got some bigger tours, right? It's meat and potatoes, fucking yeah. ACDC. But some like dumb fuck who only loves Lamb of God, and then he sees this band play, and he's like, "Wow, they play death metal with Viking themes." They think that's original because they don't know who Bathory is or something, right? And then they like latch on to that, and eventually they're almost like mainstream, right? Because they're pretty fucking big. One would say they're probably in the top ten most commercially viable extreme metal bands. They tour right? hard. They tour hard. Right. They work. They right. run. And they but work they, hard. They have a good live but, show. But at the end of the day, they have a Viking ship that shows up on stage. That's now. awesome. Like in like, that's awesome. It, like the and dr- they have some solid albums. But at the end of the day, they're a mid-paced death metal band 
with some interesting Viking themes and some melodic pots, you know? Playing fucking Swedish-style death metal. That, right, right. But, but the average times, don't know shit about that whole world. Honestly, there's times with the song structure, to me, sounds like middle-era bolt thrower with, like, extra melodicism, yeah. you know? But, you know, I mean, it's, it's fucking... It's obviously, like, taken off and become this big thing, you know? But... Well... I think we reached that limit. I know, dude. Whoa, two fast. hours here, buddy. Fucking easy fast. like that. I know. So fucking know. everybody should come down here. 1881. Or Cushion Ave. Actually, the best thing to do, I'm running this shit privately right now. I don't even have a landline. Yeah. And I'm booked till like almost July, which is awesome. Um, you know, it's mostly, I'm booking like three hour minimums. So if you're not interested in anything big, I'm probably not the guy. Right on. But uh, Panzerfaust on Instagram with two Zs. Two Zs. Like the Dark Throne album, not the German anti-tank round. I think that's what it is. Or uh, Andrew Pekita, P-E-Q-U-I-T-A, on Instagram or Facebook Messenger. There it is. It's the easiest way. So. Always a pleasure, sir. All right, good times. It's like getting a tattoo from you. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, yeah, to be here. Yeah. How you I always feel like I monopolize the conversation. No, you got a lot to say. You're good. You're yeah. easy. You know, you know your shit, too. You're not just some fucking joint yeah, completely. That, fucking tons of useless info. Yeah, well, yeah. whatever. Useful to us. Though. College of useless knowledge, you know, know. something. Know. Fucking yeah. elven race, fucking chimera motherfuckers. I know. I kind of wish I didn't go off on the Tolkien tirade. <laughs> I'm going to hear that shit tomorrow and be like, I sound like so stoned. <laughs> Don't worry about it. All right, All right awesome. cheers, buddy. Thank yeah. you very much.